Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacroix here in Rome for the elections, and here's what's coming up on today's program. To come, we've only been here 19 days. I want to see uh, it, over the next uh, year people retain more of their income because I believe so that it's the British people that are going to drive uh, this economy, and I want that's why I want well, people to retain more of the uh, income that they they earn. Sterling crash, the pound plunges to a record low as Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng vows to press on with tax cuts. Watching for intervention, expectations mount for a sort of action from the BOE with Deutsche Bank calling for an emergency jumbo hike. Plus, the end of the Draghi era, while Italy's Giorgia Meloni wins a clear majority in Sunday's election, ushering in the nation's most right-wing government since World War II. So the market's really falling out of bed, especially when you look at the UK. So let's first of all check the markets overall, but extreme pressure on currencies all across the world. The pound plunging to a record low. UK yields crashed to actually send the 10-year yield above 4% for the first time since 2010. In fact, there's a huge repricing of the whole UK guilt curve. Let's bring in Bloomberg's MLife, Mark Cudmore. Mark, I don't know whether once we get a dollar to the pound, that's a floor or whether it goes even lower. I think the pound will go, will definitely go lower than here unless the Bank of England validates the yield price we've seen today. So at the front end of the curve, we've seen pretty extraordinary move in yields. The two-year yields are up about 50 basis points, um, a little bit lower just as I walked into the studio, but earlier on today it was a little bit over 50 basis points. And unless the Bank of England come in soon and say, look, this market pricing makes sense. Now, they might get away with only delivering that via rhetoric by saying we're going to hike very aggressively in November, but much more likely they're going to need to actually validate with action. They might be forced to an emergency hike. If they don't, the currency remains the only outlet for the UK's twin deficits where traders continue to be concerned. So, Mark, I don't know whether there's a huge repricing in terms of gilts and whether that continues going forward or whether we're just going to see more on the currency side. So I think that we're going to get more pressure both in gilts and in the currency. Ultimately, we still have deeply negative real yields at this level. And, 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 you know, that's very difficult when you've got a country that does have twin deficits. So when you've got twin deficits in a world of rising yields, well, how do you make your debt uh, more attractive? Because you've got to fund those twin deficits, and that means a debt problem. So either you can offer much more attractive yields. And at the moment, with UK's inflation rate, they need to hike rates 
hundreds and hundreds of basis points to get close to positive real yields. So the, the debt is unlikely to be attractive. So the only, only other way you can fund those twin deficits is by offering a massive discount through the currency. And that's why the currency has weakened so much this year. And that's why the pressure is going to remain on until people feel enough of a discount as either price of the currency or we get some significant rate hikes to ease up on those negative real yields or more, most likely some combination of the two. Mark, I'm kind of transfixed. I have to say I'm looking at the market moves and I'm thinking like, what did the chancellor say? Why did he double down? I mean, they're really betting that this will spur growth down the line. If you're the BOE, how do you react? So you can't be seen as just going, you know, against your chancellor straight away. But if they move by 150 basis points, like markets are pricing in, what does that do to the economy? And what does that do to pound? So the economy is in trouble, but actually the Bank of England have been given cover to move. Because remember, it's only last Thursday that they hiked 50 basis points when the market was kind of saying, look, 75 basis points might make more sense. So they were on the slightly dovish side. Yes, it was a hawkish 50 basis points hike, but they're a dovish side of expectations on Thursday. Now, suddenly, if they're going to deliver an emergency hike or justify much more aggressive hike, hiking, well, they can say, well, it's the government's mini-budget that provides this cover. It's the, the, the government that's providing fiscal stimulus that lets us tighten on the monetary policy side. And that might make sense if they're given time. You're talking, Fran, about whether they can get away with 150 basis points in November. They're going to have to deliver much more than that and probably earlier. I do think the chances of an emergency hike at some point are rising unless we really get some very, very aggressive rhetoric from the Bank of England or we get the government slightly rowing back in their idea that they're going to continue with unfunded tax cuts. But at the moment, it's an unsustainable situation. So either we get an emergency hike or we see much lower prices no. in the sterling. So, Mark, and I know, I mean, this, this is a nightmare, right, for the balance of payment, for the twin deficits, and actually the UK also doesn't export much. So there, it, it doesn't really help at the margin at all. No, I mean, look, you're right that the economy is in trouble. So if they hike rates, yes, that are, the more real, real yield they offer is slightly better. Now, today, we've finally seen two-year UK yields rise above US two-year yields. We've seen 10-year yields in the UK rise above 10-year yields. We've got the whole curve above. So suddenly, UK debt is starting to look more attractive on a relative basis that leads to nominal returns. But of course, we have real returns, and UK's inflation problem is worse. You are right that the Bank of England does tighten rates aggressively, what's going to happen to the economy? The UK economy is in deep, deep trouble, no matter what happens. Like, it, we've been gone beyond the case of worrying about the UK economy and marginal issues there. We know the UK is going to have a terrible 2023. We know it's going to be in deep recession. What we're worried about now is stopping a currency crisis. We've got, we can't be concerned about the recession in the UK. That, we've gone way beyond that level of concern. All right, Mark, thank you so much, as always, for your great insight. Mark Cunmore there from our MLive team. Now let's get straight to the Bloomberg First Word News. Here's Leanne Gerens. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Francine. A number of small protests have broken out in Russia against President Putin's conscription plans. This is fears grow that the Kremlin may ban some men from leaving the country. Over the weekend, people waited for hours in long lines at crossings into Finland, Kazakhstan and Georgia. Moscow attempted to reassure citizens, saying some will be exempt from being forced to join the army. Now, China's Communist Party has reaffirmed President Xi Jinping as 
has its call as it published the list of delegates for next month's landmark twice-a-decade leadership summit. Xinhua News Agency says more than 2,200 officials were elected for the 20th Party Congress. The twice-a-decade gathering starts in mid-October, with President Xi Jinping expected to secure a third term in office. The Philippines is holding talks to buy fuel and other commodities from Russia. President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. told Bloomberg the country is close to deals with some fuel suppliers. He said the Philippines' national interest in diversifying energy sources overrides concerns about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now maybe we need to approach Russia and uh, say that maybe they can do some up uh, and uh, provide us with uh, uh, some fuel. The political side of it has been, of course, a little tricky, but nonetheless, uh, the national interest comes first. And so we have to find those uh, new sources of, uh, of fuel. Global news, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Leanne Gerens. This is Bloomberg Francine. Leanne, thank you so much. Coming up, Giorgia Meloni wins a clear victory in Italy's elections, setting up the country's most right-wing government since World War II. We'll discuss economic policies next, and this is Bloomberg. Finance politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacqua here in Rome. Now, Giorgia Meloni has won a clear majority in Sunday's Italian elections, setting herself up to become the country's first female prime minister at the head of the most right wing government since World War II. Now, we're joined by Marco Elzer. He is partner at London Capital. Marco, thank you for joining us. Good I mean, morning, every Francine. time I come to Rome, I usually try and catch up to ask you about the markets, but actually, the markets are pretty okay about Italy right now. They're freaking about, you know, about the UK. I is the, the UK, is the UK, the biggest problem I know, is the UK. But is the UK a warning shot for Italy? You can't spend too much, keep your deficit in check, your debt in check, or else. It's definitely a huge shot across the bow. Uh, the, the fact the Italian markets have not reacted, the world market not reacted to uh, Meloni's victory, is actually a good sign. But I think what's happening in England really yeah. is very, very scary. And Meloni is going to have a very difficult challenge to get everything organized because some of her partners are believing in spending cuts, uh, tax cuts, excuse me, and that is not going to be good right. for the economy. And the same so thing do UK you think Marco doing. shall go ahead with tax cuts given what's happening in the UK and pound at a record low? She, she's a very smart person. She's from Rome. She grew up in Rome and um, she is uh, very, very ambitious. First of all, kudos to her for having won the election. The yeah. first time a woman becomes president of the Consiglio, prime minister in Italy, I think she's going to be smart enough to realize that certain of the promises she made, she will yeah. not be able to maintain. And she'll so, be frank about it. Yeah, so do, do you think actually she'll be Euro-friendly? She has been in the past Eurosceptic, and I think part of the largely muted market reaction is they're really trying to figure out what she'll do. Uh, reading into her, I, I've, I've, I've never met her personally, but I think her political views are 
pretty straightforward. She's very much pro-Ukraine, pro-Europe. Um, the problem well, she is... She hasn't her, always been pro-Europe. No, she hasn't been. She, right. <laughs> well, tomatoes ripen. They're green. They become red. They ripen. She's changed her views. She's matured. Uh, the problem is, I think, is her political allies who may have different views. And that's going to be the biggest challenge for Georgia to see how she can coalesce sometimes warring factions within her own group. Right. But she has a big majority. She's done better than both the other parties put together. Put together. So she doesn't have to listen to them or be warring with Europe um, or warring with well, Germany. When you see, well, first of all, uh, with regards to Italian politics, I think uh, the fact that Lega, which was Italy's very, very successful party, literally imploded the, since the last elections, and there's going to be some very strong requests to change the leadership. Hopefully, Salvini will leave and will be replaced somebody much more intelligent, much more market-friendly, like Giorgetti, yeah. who's a very, very erudite, smart person. That could help, and that would actually help uh, Meloni create a plan which is financially viable because Meloni's biggest, I shouldn't say a flaw, but her biggest um, lack is she does not have the political experience. Right. So who does she put as finance minister? This is, uh, you know, crucial for, and, you know, well, for I the markets to remain comfortable. I mentioned Giorgetti. Uh, I think he's a very, very smart person. Uh, I don't have the same views he has, but he's very, very smart, and he is very much listened to by the European Union and by international markets because he's proven what he's done has been very, very coherent with yeah. democracy. But how she'll deal with the, the cost of living crisis? I mean, this is a huge problem, right? Energy prices, because of the link also between Italy and Russia, will skyrocket like the rest of Europe, but maybe even more, and this country has a huge debt problem. Will they have access to the $1.9 that the EU will give them in December? Um, with regards to the, the, the funding from the European Union, I'm not concerned about because uh, Draghi's philosophy, whatever it takes, is still the ace of spades and that's going to work. Uh, that's the reason why I think Italian markets have not reacted, Francine, after uh, yesterday's results. I think the, the, the problem really is going to be what Conte and his really, really not very smart idea of just yeah. giving away money. The reason why M5S, Five Star Movement, which has got a significant amount of votes, they didn't earn the votes, they just bought them. They promised people money, and people voted for them, which is really, really not very good. And I think the first thing Meloni should do is literally eliminate that. That's going to show the financial markets that she is thinking straight. Because a lot of these people, yeah. you have to know, and the viewers... Margot, yes. The other concern, of course, is some of her stance in the past on LGBTQ communities, on the fact that she's praised also Viktor Orban, on, you know, her talk on immigration. How will she govern? We're talking about, uh, is she far right? Is she not far right? You speak to people around her, and she says, look, this is a candidate that's matured, that's changed, and that will be more mainstream. Look, at, at the cost of, of making an analogy, which may not be the best analogy, um, Luigi Di Maio, who became, who was actually a pretty good foreign minister, minister of foreign affairs in Italy, used to sell soft drinks at the stadium. So people do mature, they grow, they change their views. I think Giorgia Meloni, notwithstanding her past, that she was very close to extreme right, I think has matured 
and she's going to realize that if she wants to be a leader and be remembered yes. as a leader, but she'll keep, have to come. But I keep on being told that actually politicians don't always mean their words and what they say is full of political votes, but actually what Trump has taught us, what also you know, Boris Johnson has taught us, Liz Truss, is that usually when you promise things, you try and follow through once you get elected. And Liz Truss is the proof that <laughs> poor cable has just collapsed to all-time lows this morning. Um, I think, look, I don't know Georgia Maroney. She's, um, she's honest. She has not a, does not have a reputation of being a corrupt person. And she's going to do the good for Italy. She's not going to do the good. She's going to do what I think Obama did, is be the president for all the people. Her views on LBGTQ, her views on immigrants, I think are going to have to be perhaps filed down a bit. Yeah. That's my only hope, because otherwise, Italy's going to be a pariah. Now, what, what you properly said, Francine, is that what happened to England today is a wonderfully timed warning shot for Meloni to watch out. Yeah, I wonder whether Meloni's looking up pound like we do. Maybe. Marco, thank you so much. As always, Marco Elzer, partner at Lonson Capital, joining us on a rainy rooftop in Rome. Now, coming up, sterling crash. The pound plunges to a record low as the Chancellor Quasi Quartang vows to press on with tax cuts. We'll have plenty more of that next. And this is Bloomberg. Economics, finance, politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacqua here in Rome. Now, Liz Truss's new government has a dramatic start with the pound plunging on its tax plans. Let go straight to Lizzie Burden, who joins us from the Labour Party conference in Liverpool with a guest. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Francine. Well, I am in Liverpool at Labour Party conference with the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves. Rachel, thank you so much Good morning, for joining me. Over the weekend, the pound has uh, tanked because of the news that Kwasi Kwarteng is going to add to his fiscal package on Friday with even more tax cuts. Now, you have called it casino economics, but what if Kwasi Kwarteng's gamble pays off and we all feel pretty good by 2024? Well, we saw on Friday the markets begin to react to what the Chancellor set out in his statement, a series of unfunded tax cuts, primarily for the richest in society. And that has put pressure on, on sterling, not just against the dollar, but also against the euro. And that has consequences in, in the real world, because it will push up inflation further. It pushes up the costs of government borrowing, and in turn, it will mean higher borrowing costs for families and for businesses as, as well. So, at the moment, we've got a situation where the Bank of England has got its foot on the, uh, on, on the brake, and the Chancellor's got his foot on the accelerator. So, should that the Bank is, of England be intervening? That is the road to ruin. 
to, to save the pound? Should Andrew Bailey step in? Well, look, I was an economist at Bank of England for many years before I became a uh, member of Parliament, and I respect the operational independence of the bank. Uh, but the bank has a clear mandate uh, to, to control inflation, and they will see the impact that is happening now on uh, sterling and the impact that that will have in turn on inflation. And so there will be further pressure on the bank to increase uh, interest rates. And as I say, that means higher borrowing costs for families and higher borrowing costs for businesses, which is why I, I fear that for all the talk from the Chancellor last Friday, this is not a plan for growth, because if families have got less money to spend because they're spending more on mortgage interest payments, and if businesses are put off investment because of the cost of borrowing going up, we're not going to get the growth. Trickle-down economics is not going to work. It hasn't worked in the past. And this is just putting further pressure on inflation and interest rates. So should Kwasi Kwarteng step in to save the pound? Well, Kwasi Kwarteng at the weekend um, fueled this sell-off of the pound by doubling down on his package on Friday and suggesting that there is more to come. That's not what financial markets want to hear. They want to hear that the Chancellor has got a serious plan for getting a grip of the public finances. We didn't hear that on Friday. We didn't hear it over the weekend. And now we have that reaction in global financial markets to the irresponsible and reckless uh, statement that we had from the Chancellor on Friday and the comments through the course of the weekend. So what financial markets and business want is credibility, uh, stability... What, this is your chance to present yourself as a government in waiting, but isn't the advantage of the Tory package that at least it's clear? Well, I set out Labour's fiscal rules a year ago that we would pay for day-to-day -day spending through tax receipts, that we would get our uh, debt down as a share of GDP, uh, that, of course, in difficult times, some borrowing, responsible borrowing, might be necessary. But then subject to that, we would invest in the industries and the opportunities of the future. And that's what the National Wealth Fund that I'll be setting out at conference today is all about, because there is a global race going on at the moment for the jobs and industries of the future. Britain risks falling behind in that race whilst other governments support their businesses to get the jobs, to get the factories to their countries. But we're not doing that. My plans that I'll be setting out today would do exactly that. A serious plan for climate, for growth and for levelling up. And over the weekend Keir Starmer said that he would reverse this cut to the top rate but he would keep the uh, cut to the basic rate of income tax along with all the spending that you would do on public services how would you afford all of that without adding to borrowing? Well, well I've been very clear, Lizzie, as I say, that we would fund day-to-day -day spending through uh, tax receipts. And that means difficult decisions, but that is the uh, honest uh, way and the responsible way to manage our public finances and will give us the room to invest in those industries and jobs of the future through our National Wealth Fund. Now, the backdrop to this conference, of course, is the strike at the Port of Liverpool. Workers aren't happy because they aren't getting pay rises in line with inflation. Your deputy leader, Angela Ray, has said that she would repeal all the government's anti-worker legislation. Would you agree with that, or do you admit that your party hasn't made its mind up on how it handles strikes and unions? 
Well, I totally understand why working people are taking industrial action to protect their pay and to protect their jobs. That's why we need to get a grip of inflation. Now, the best thing that Labour politicians can do uh, to get a fair deal for workers is to get a Labour government, and that's why I'll be setting out our plans to do exactly that uh, um, in our conference today. But, look, the government are having a bonfire of workers' rights. They are uh, undermining uh, um, um, workers' rights. And, I, again, I, I'm not surprised that there is this industrial action. We didn't have this sort of industrial action last time we had a Labour government because the last Labour government respected working people, respected the trade unions that represented them. That's a very different approach from what we see under this Tory government today. But the flip side of all of this strike action is, of course, disruption. The whole point of strikes, arguably, that is this is the worst time to be having it. We need to have economic growth. The supply chain disruption could add to inflation, shouldn't you get tougher on the unions? Would you get tougher on the unions like Liz Truss? Well, what is Liz Truss doing? She is fueling the fans of the flames of this dispute uh, and, and adding to the problems. We want workers at work. Workers want to be at work earning a wage. Um, but the government's lack of respect for working people is driving them to this industrial action. We didn't have this sort of industrial unrest when Labour was last in government because we showed respect towards working people. We need to get a grip of inflation. The government's package on Friday did the exact opposite, uh, pushing up inflation rather than trying to get it under control. Workers want a pay rise because they're seeing uh, their wages failing to keep up with the rising cost of living. That is why we must deal with inflation to help protect the living standards of ordinary working people around our country. So you say that they want a pay rise in line, in line with inflation. Would you give that to public sector workers? Well, look, we need to grow the economy, uh, but also we've got to get a grip of inflation. The reason why there are pay demands at such high levels is because inflation is at a 40-year high. So the most important thing is that we have a serious plan to grow the economy and a serious plan to get a grip of inflation. We don't have either of those from the government, and that is, is why people are so unhappy with the direction we're going in. Rachel Reeves, Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, thank you so much for joining me. Later on in the day, Rachel Reeves is going to present her plan for how she's going to grow the economy through investing in green measures. We'll be listening out for that later, Francine, noon London time. Yeah, Lizzie, thanks so much. Great interview there, of course, trying to figure out exactly how Labour will position itself and the battle lines going ahead. Now, let's look at that. I'm transfixed, actually, about what's happening out on the guilt. But the pound traders ramping up bets of the pace and size of interest rate hikes by the Bank of England after the pound crashed due to fears over the new UK government's fiscal policies. To break down the latest market action, let's bring in Bloomberg's Danny Berger. Danny, transfixed, I say. Everyone just can't really <laughs> believe what's happening. I know, and, and, and here's the crazy thing, Francine, is the pound is down less than 1% now. These are quite the whiplash moves. We had that flash crash earlier over Asia hours, which makes sense. Liquidity is really thin. Cash markets for bonds weren't open yet. So that re release valve for anxiety around the UK after Corsi Quarteng talked about more tax cuts, the twin deficits, that's how it played out. But this remarkable rally, yes, we're still down, but again, we have climbed back a significant amount of these losses. And a lot of that is because the carnage instead of the FX market is now playing out 
through the bond market. This is VAR shock type levels when you get yields across the board surging in the UK by more than four base, uh, 40 basis points for most of the front end here, nearly 50 basis points for the two year yield at a 20 10 high part of this part of the reason that sterling is doing better that perhaps there's expectations that the bank of england's going to get really aggressive you get yields high enough and that can entice foreign buyers back in so what would be levels which you can entice foreign buyers 150 basis points currently is what's priced in for november but perhaps that's not enough perhaps you need intermediate hikes this is something george cerevelos over at deutsche bank has been advocating for saying it's not just that but it's also qt you got to put it back into the market essentially you need to put stability and credibility back in though i was talking to martin malone earlier francine who said nope it should be boe and fiscal government aligned going full in on this trajectory and this hope for growth I have to say, Danny, I'm kind of obsessed with the yield curve. I mean, I know a lot of people are always obsessed, but if you look at it, I mean, it's <laughs> the first time in eight years that the UK 10-year yield is above the US 10-year yield. Let's just think about this for a second. Yeah. And it was really a huge repricing for the yield, I mean, for the, for the curve across the board, really. It was almost undiscriminatory. It's true, but I, I think that's an excellent point, Francine, the spread between the UK and the US, because you have to ask the question, what sort of yield premium, what sort of risk premium are traders going to demand in order to jump in and buy this gilt market? Surely it has to be more than the U.S. We're seeing that's what it's being priced in at. But it's some, to some degree, Francine, is just, just rearranging deck chairs. Annual debt for the U.K. has now ballooned to sick over 200 billion pounds because interest rates are going up. It's getting more expensive to service the debt. Is there that full faith in credit? There might not be a risk premium high enough to actually entice investors back in. Danny, thank you so much for Danny Berger there with, with the crazy or at least interesting, if I were so British that I couldn't you know, say something too dramatic, the interesting British moves. Now, Giorgia Meloni has won a clear majority in Sunday's Italian election. Joining us now to talk about all of this is Emanuele Canegrati, member of Liechtenstein Academy Foundation. Manuele, thank you for joining us. I mean, there's so much going on elsewhere that we kind of forget that we have a new government in place and actually not many people know what Giorgia Meloni stands for. She says one thing uh, to the international press, another in her rallies here in Rome. What will she do fiscally? Well, uh, Giorgia Meloni was quite clear on the fiscal point of view. Um, uh, Brothers of Italy, fiscal policy is quite... Uh, uh, right-oriented, so the, the aim uh, of Brothers of Italy is to cut down taxes. And, uh, Can they afford to cut down taxes? I mean, look at the UK, they cut taxes. Well, it is a, an interesting question because uh, um, everybody knows that Italy has quite a tight fiscal space, fiscal capacity, and so this is, uh, this is the, the challenge for Giorgia Meloni because if she wants to cut down taxes, she also to be very careful to cut down spending and this is of course the challenge because uh, in in Italy it's not very easy to cut uh, yeah. benefits so, and so do you think she'll be calibrated in trying to you know if she cuts somewhere she takes elsewhere yes yeah, so in order to to I mean to 
pay attention to the balance sheet. Of course, it's it's not easy in the um, in the financial situation, the Italian financial situation, to cut taxes because uh, uh, the I mean debt to GDP ratio is absolutely high, and so Italy is absurd from the European Commission, and so I think that uh, Giorgia Belloni yeah. will be I mean very under the lens of. Uh, and that Brussels. will depend on who she chooses as finance minister. Are we expecting a market-friendly, international, or a type of finance minister? That's another challenge because uh, uh, if Giorgia Meloni wants to, I mean, not to to broke with uh, Mario Draghi's legacy, so I, I presume she could uh, um, select a, a market friendly um, minister. Um, uh, is, is that what she'll do? To reassure Europe that yes, she, that I, she well, will stay the course? Well, it, my opinion is that uh, she's, uh, she's rational in the end and uh, I don't know what Giorgia Meloni is going to do, of course, but I presume that she really wants to um, to say that uh, she, yeah. she doesn't want to, to break the European Union down. She, yeah. I mean, she wants to stay in, in line uh, in, an, in a certain sense with, with Mario Draghi's government. So, Emanuele, if you're you know looking at this from Nigel's lens and look at the Italian economy and what the prescriptions needed are to fix and to get back on track, what would you be putting in place? Oh well, it's difficult to say. I mean, uh, w what happened uh, yesterday was a quite um, a very strong result, uh, not only for Italy but for the entire European Union. And uh, you know, during the electoral campaign, so. I mean, she's but, but she's considered right, far right. I mean, I don't know. You know, at least she has a clear mandate. But I don't know if Europeans are now looking and saying, ah, finally we have someone who's you know, has in the past been quite belligerent towards Europe. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, both the European Union and financial markets, I, I believe, have a great memory. And so uh, the great challenge is also to, I mean, to reconsider the semantic, if you pass me the word, uh, the semantic of his political position. Yeah. I mean, and just in order to say I'm far right or right. And this is the great challenge, in my opinion, because uh, uh, being the fight right for financial markets and the European Union means, means something. Being right and more conservative yeah. means something else. So as the British say, the proof is in the pudding. When do we know that pudding? Is it in the next couple of months where she'll stick or not to the EU plan? Or what are the two, three policies that we need to watch out for? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that uh, Giorgia Meloni is going to take the first choice over the, la over the next days and it will be very important choices mm -hmm. for uh, both for European Union, financial markets and, um, well, we have uh, a budget law right. over the next days and this will be the, the first uh, 
the first challenge, yes. But of course it could take one or two weeks, right, for her to try and form a government. So we'll see how that goes. Emanuele, thank you so much. Emanuele Candigrati, they're a member of the Liechtenstein Academy Foundation. Now, some breaking news from the OECD. It's cutting almost all of their growth forecast for the G20 next year. Not great news. I know already it's raining and we have the pound imploding. Uh, but they were actually saying that um, all of them are being cut down. Indonesia, the only member with a slightly better outlook, but all of them actually quite significantly lower. Now let's get straight to the Bloomberg business flash. Here's Leanne Gerens. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Francine. Unilever says CEO Alan Jope has informed the board of his intention to retire at the end of 2023. Jope leaves after five years in the role and more than 35 years at the consumer goods giant, which has said it's facing unprecedented levels of inflation recently. Now Shell is to exit its two offshore wind projects in Ireland, leaving Simply Blue Group in search of a new partner. Offshore wind developer Simply Blue says it remains committed to completing the sites off the coast of Cork and Clare. The projects aim to deliver a combined 2.65 gigawatts of floating wind power for Ireland. Now, China's construction bank is setting up a $4 billion fund to buy properties from developers as policymakers step up efforts to contain a real estate crisis. The bank says the fund will invest in existing assets of property developers and renovate them into rental housing. CCB says the fund will last for 10 years with a possible extension. And that's your Bloomberg Business Flash. Francine. Thank you so much, Leanne. Coming up, sterling crash. The pound plunges to a record low as Trumpster Quasi Quartang vows to press on with tax cuts. Also, guilt on the move. Or Danny Berger flagging the UK two-year yield now up 51 basis points. A lot of people and a lot of trading floors will probably have to be sedated now. We'll go through what happens for the UK next. This is Bloomberg. Economics, finance, politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacroix here in Rome. Now, the pound also hovering near a record low after a frantic 20-minute sell-off this morning by traders. Let's also look at yields, and I have to say they're off the cliff. The UK 10-year yield above 4% for the first time since 2010. Joining us now is Bloomberg's Phil Aldrich and David Finnerty. Thank you both for joining us. I have a million and one questions. Let's start with David. David, what happens to sterling now, does it go below $1? And what does it mean for government policy? I think the key thing for sterling certainly in the near term is these expectations for the Bank of England to raise rates. You look at the markets already factoring in their raising rates by up to 160 basis points at the next meeting alone, which is in November. Now, of course, they may act before, they may not. So I think if they don't, the key thing is the rhetoric they come out because the market's expecting this. If you don't deliver, the market will be very disappointed very quickly and you'll see sterling sell off. 
So the, the Bank of England, any rhetoric has to be very hawkish. We have Hugh Peel, the, the main economist, speaking tomorrow. And markets will be looking for him to signal that they're going to do something. If that doesn't happen, I think this uh, market expectations are unwound quite quickly and certainly comes under pressure very quickly. So, Phil, I know you look at this, you know, almost minute by minute. It's how problematic, first of all, is it for the Bank of England to almost go again government policy? I mean, there's zero coordination here. Do the two sides regroup and rethink the way forward? Well, actually, we, yeah, we had uh, Gerard Lyons. Sorry, we, we had uh, we had Gerard Sorry, Lyons. Sorry, David. Let me just uh, go to Phil. Phil Aldrich first. Uh, we, we had Jared Lyons, who's the, one of the sort of external advisors to the government on Bloomberg Radio this morning, and um, he, he was pointing out that this is a new economic framework. So I don't think there is going to be this kind of policy coordination of, you know, we're going to go easy on fiscal measures to stop any inflationary pressure so that the bank doesn't need to raise rates. It's, not, it's very much the, the plan is to provide fiscal support for households, etc., and, um, uh, and then get inflation under control with the Bank of England. So it, 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 it's, it feels like the markets are resetting to a new political reality in the UK. And, and that was really drawn into focus um, at the budget, which was you know, not unexpected. The measures were not unexpected. But they, and as soon as it becomes real, it, it, it you know, becomes tangible. So, Phil Aldrich, what happens now? Does the Bank of England go aggressively, and what does that do to the economy? Or does the government temper down what they've been saying? I think, uh, well, first of all, I think to try and stabilize markets, the um, quasi quarting the Chancellor is probably going to have to provide some more, um, uh, more information on the fiscal rules that he's, he's talked about. So there's got to be this sense that the government is is going to have some kind of fiscal credibility. There is going to be some, you know, f public finance um, uh, you know, framework in place, which we haven't actually got yet. He just sort of talked about it loosely. And what the bank is, is clearly going to do is, is, is going, they're going to be raising rates, you know, quite aggressively. We had the half-point rate hike last week. It would be quite shocking if they, it would, it would send a signal of panic if they had to intervene in markets in between meetings, so before November. But by November, I mean, you know, I, I, we're looking at a 100 basis point increase potentially in November because they're going to have to move faster um, than expected. D David Finnerty, do you think that the government has just gotten market reaction wrong? Uh, well, certainly, it depends what the market it was looking for. Certainly, I don't think it quite judged the market reaction at all. I mean, the market going into the mini budget. Everyone was expecting, you know, some giveaways, shall we say, but the size of it really did surprise the markets. Um, I think, to be honest, it surprised the Bank of England, you could argue, because if they know this, the question would have been, would they have rate, raised rates by 75 basis points last week rather than 50 basis points? So there's a big discrepancy going on here, and particularly with them adding fuel to the fire by saying, hey, more rate cuts may be coming. Um, over the weekend. The market obviously doesn't like this and the sell-off is reacting to that. And now the catch is for the Bank of England, it's hands forced because it's been expected to raise rates by so much now. If it doesn't deliver, then again, the sterling gets sold. So Bank of England, England's in a bit of an awkward scenario at the moment. 
Yeah, awkward. That's so British. It's so understated. Thank you both for joining us, Phil Aldrich and David Finnerty. Now, we'll have, of course, plenty more from the UK shortly. Let's also now bring in Lizzie Burden, who joins us from the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. So, Lizzie, you also spoke to the Shadow Chancellor. What did we learn? Well, she was making a clear pitch to our audience, the financial markets, that her Labour Party would be more credible in terms of handling the UK economy. Uh, she's uh, is calling for credibility, which echoes the call from economists like Simon French. Remember the uh, Panmore Gordon. Remember the uh, fiscal event on Friday was not accompanied by a forecast from the official fiscal watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility, even though the OBR said that it had time uh, to make an, a quick assessment of the economic impact, Kwarteng said that that's coming later in the year. And so apart from the fact that these tax cuts, and we know now that, that more are coming down the pipeline uh, because Kwarteng said so over the weekend, uh, what's offensive to markets is the amount of borrowing and this credibility point. So Rachel Reeves really trying to hammer that home just, just now. Lizzie, thanks so much. Lizzie Burden there with the very latest, of course, from Liverpool. Coming up, we'll have more on the UK on pound plunging, including what sectors, of course, we should be closely watching after the fallout. Also, watch out for guilds. This is Bloomberg. Finance politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacqua here in Rome. Now let's get straight to the Bloomberg First Word News. Here's Leanne Garrens. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Francine. The pound has plunged to a record low against the dollar after the UK Chancellor doubled down on tax cut plans. The decline follows the release on Friday of Quasi Kwarteng's growth plan, which detailed the biggest tax giveaway in half a century. Asked about tax cuts over the weekend, he told the BBC there's more to come. Now, Giorgia Maloney has won a clear majority in Italy's election, setting herself up to become the country's first field male Prime Minister. According to projections, her right-wing alliance, which includes Matteo Salvini's League and Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia, took about 43% of the vote. That would give the bloc at least 114 seats and a majority in the Italian Senate. A number of small protests have broken out in Russia against President Putin's conscription plans. This as fears grow that the Kremlin may ban some men from leaving the country. Over the weekend, people waited for hours in long lines at land crossings, including Finland, Kazakhstan and Georgia. Moscow attempted to reassure citizens, saying some will be exempt from being forced to join the army. A new poll over in the U.S. says Democrats want the party to replace President 
President Biden as its 2024 nominee. According to the Washington Post ABC News poll, just 35 percent of Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents want the president to be nominated. Meanwhile, 47 percent of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents want former President Donald Trump to be the party's nominee. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nian Gerens. This is Bloomberg. Francine. Leanne, thank you so much. Now, let's have a look at Pound because I'm getting a couple, not many, but a couple of Twitter messages saying, why are you still implying that Pound is imploding? It's off the lows. Yes, sure it is. But let's look at what happened overnight. Now, this was a very violent move. And I would suggest, as the Bloomberg copy says, so great is the turmoil in UK markets that there's now calls mounting for an emergency hike. And let's just remember, pound also tumbling to as low as 10350, an all-time low. Now, we have seen the pound plunge on the new UK Chancellor's words. That's in the last couple of hours. We've seen guilt surge on the latest comments. So let's take a look at how the sectors have been performing. To help us analyze all of this is JP Barnett from our stocks team. So, JP, what are you looking at? Well, I mean, we see the typical reaction to uh, a move in a country's currency uh, today and also on uh, on Friday. So if we look at the UK market, uh, we see that uh, the bigger index, the FTSE 100, is uh, doing okay-ish. It's fairly, uh, it's pretty much flat right now. It was a little bit in the green uh, earlier today. But we see the wider um, uh, FTSE 250, which has the, the mid and small caps in there, uh, doing poorly down 1%. So this is because we have much more export-oriented uh, stocks in the, in the bigger index. So we see in there industrials, uh, consumer staples, consumer discretionary doing, doing pretty well because they will be able to sell the products cheaper into Europe and, and on the globe with the pound plunging. While on the other hand, the small caps, uh, you see uh, pretty much the, the opposite. Uh, you see healthcare, you see real estate, of course, going down. You see re utilities going down. Um, both uh, sectors very sensitive to to rate uh, to the rate level, and with the the yields uh, surging in in uh, UK gilts, that's that's not good for those sectors. Yeah. So JP, are you also looking? Of course, there's as you say a huge difference between the FTSE 250 and the FTSE 100. If the BOE hikes, what does that mean for sectors? If they hike aggressively, even more than they have so far? Uh, yeah. Of course. I mean it. Basically, will expand the story that we are seeing right now. That you see, like those very rate-sensitive sectors, like especially real estate and utilities, uh, being being under pressure. It might be good for uh, financials uh, because the the rates level is is probably increasing the net interest income. But financials are also very sensitive to um, to FX movements, so it's probably not the the greatest thing uh, for them to to have. Uh, also, like we have a nice story out there this morning, like in general, that we see like uh, corporations across Europe facing the highest cost for refinancing their debt. So if they hike aggressively, this won't be, won't be nice for UK companies. JP, thanks so much. As always, JP Barnett there with the latest on UK markets. Now, Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition continues in the next hour. Matt Miller and Kaylee Lyons are in New York. Anna Edwards is here in London. Of course, a lot of the focus will be on UK bonds plummeting after traders ramp up bets on the scale of interest rate hikes by the Bank of England. This is Bloomberg.
there's a lot of market turmoil. The uncertainty is something that is just continues to weigh on markets. We're very much in flux now. At the end of the day, it comes back to the dollar. I think the UK is behaving a bit like an emerging market turning itself into uh, a submerging uh, market. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition with Anna Edwards, Matt Miller, and Kaylee Lines. It's 10 a.m. in London, 5 a.m. in New York, and 5 p.m. in Hong Kong. Our top stories today. The pound sinks to an all-time low. Markets react after the British government vows to press on with more tax cuts. An historic election in Italy. Georgia Maloney is set to become the country's first female prime minister and will lead the most right-wing government in the country since World War II. And the high price of war. The OECD slashes its global growth projections for next year due to the fighting in Ukraine and the impact of high energy prices. We'll be speaking to the OECD's acting chief economist this hour. Welcome to Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Anna Edwards in London with Matt Miller and Kayleigh Lines in New York. And it is here in the UK, Kayleigh, that a lot of the market attention is focused. And through the Asia session, we certainly saw a lot of focus on the pound. Yeah, you've seen a lot of focus on any UK asset for both today and, of course, Friday, which was really quite dramatic. And I would note that it was quite dramatic in Asia overnight, not quite as dramatic as what you are seeing where you are, Anna. But nonetheless, when you look at GMM, that function on the Bloomberg terminal, there is literally all red, not even a single green rectangle, or you're starting to see some when it comes to equity futures on the far uh, right side of this, if you are looking at on your terminal. But for our listeners on radio, largely it has been a down day for Asian assets. You were down in Hong Kong, China, big losses in Japan and South Korea and Taiwan. You had losses of more than 3%. And you had a lot of down uh, pressure on bonds as well. Of course, that is something that really originates in the UK, but you saw bond yields moving higher across uh, across the Asia Pacific. Commodities down on the day, palm oil, iron ore, all under pressure. And of course, it all comes back to that foreign exchange story. Every single Asian currency weaker against the U.S. dollar today. That includes the Japanese yen, the Chinese yuan, despite China trying to make it more costly to bet against the yuan in the derivatives market. And the South Korean won the big underperformer in today's session. It is actually at its lowest level, weakest level since 2009 on that stronger dollar map. All right, Kaylee, we are seeing uh, big red uh, arrows here as well. Actually, not big red arrows, but we did see such big red arrows on Friday in the cash trade that futures um, looking set to fall even further is very bearish for this market. Right now, futures are off only one-tenth of one percent, but we fell to 36.93 in the cash trade on Friday. And I want to point out that the median estimate for a year-end um, finish at the uh, on the S&P um, this year is... Um, 4,300. So we need to rise basically another 15 to 20% to get to that level. And we don't have much time left in 2022. It's likely that you'll see those estimates coming down. The Bloomberg Dollar Index is one of the main reasons here. Another all-time high. And the chart really just goes parabolic 
um, at the end of last week. So 1344 is the level we're looking at. And for so long, we were flirting with highs of 1313. You can see we just jumped 30 basis points from there. Right now, the U.S. 10-year yield also soared on Friday, coming up even further today, another eight basis points. So 376, almost 377. It's huge in the two-year-old, of course, way over 4%. And NYMEX crude coming down below $80 for, I think, the first time since January, basically. So um, these asset moves have been really volatile, Anna, and a lot of it has to do with the mini budget that Quasi Quartang came out with on Friday. Yes, that the, described as a mini budget didn't feel so mini in its delivery. More a maxi budget, as our colleague uh, has been pointing out. Uh, this is the mixed picture then, Matt, we have across European equity markets right now. The FTSE 100 underperforming, the performance on smaller cap stocks, which have less global dollar earning potential, of course. That looks worse today because some of the large names in London flattered by the weakness in the pound. The FTSE mid gaining over in Italy, suggesting perhaps the market more concerned about what's going on in the UK, and we'll see this in the FX markets as well, than by what's going on in uh, in Italy politically. Let's have a look at that Italian story then. This is the FTSE MIB up by 1.2% uh, this morning. We see some of the infrastructure plays in Italy. A bit of a sense of relief that things maybe have planned, uh, panned out as the markets had anticipated them at least to be. Uh, and we have also heard from uh, Giorgia Maloney talking about governing with responsibility. The UK government, though, has continued to talk about tax cuts and focusing on growth at a time of inflation and high debt. And that has continued to concern the markets. We dipped down to 103 on the pound against the US dollar. And all of the talk is about whether we get to parity on cable. That was during the Asia session. We've clawed back some of that as European traders have got back to their desks. So we're now back up at 107, but still uh, an options positioning, I should say, is a little more muted than parity. Uh, but certainly that is one of the areas of conversation. And here we have the pound selling off against the euro as well. So the euro continuing to gain despite that uh, victory for uh, a far right alliance over in the Italian politics. Despite that, the market's very much more focused on what's going on in the UK. And this is a clear example of that up by 53 basis points on two year yields here in the UK this morning, Matt. Yeah, let's get to um, those moves that we've seen in the UK. Really, our top story today, the pound, as Anna mentioned again, falling at one point to 103, an all-time low against the US dollar. Gilts crashing after the UK government vowed to press on with even more tax cuts. We've got team coverage for you. Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden is at the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. And Bloomberg's Danny Berger is covering the market reaction from our studios in London. Let's start with Lizzie Burden in Liverpool. Um, Lizzie, is there a chance of an intra, uh, an emergency hike from the Bank of England um, as we see the pound plunge? Well, traders are pricing for that. Uh, they're pricing for 150 basis points of hikes by November, implying that we're going to get an intra-meeting hike, even before the pounds fall today, uh, which, of course, is caused by the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng saying that he's going to add to the fiscal package from Friday with even more tax cuts funded by borrowing. Even before all this, on Friday, an analyst at Deutsche Bank was saying that the Bank of England does need to step in if it's to regain credibility. There are also questions about whether the Bank of England is going to reverse its uh, or pause its active gilt sales to avoid overwhelming the market. Uh, but really, the question for Andrew Bailey is, after all the criticism of monetary tightening financing, is he going to 
uh, want to react to fiscal policy in this way and be accused of taking his eye off inflation, uh, really he may not want to add to the panic, but that panic is already there. OK, certainly seeing that in some asset classes today, Lizzie. And you're in, in Liverpool, of course, because the opposition Labour Party is meeting there, trying to formulate their line of attack to, to oppose the Conservatives' fiscal announcement. How are they trying to present themselves? Well, we've just spoken to the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, appealing to the financial markets, saying that they would present a more credible uh, offer to the financial markets. Keir Starmer, the opposition Labour leader, over the weekend has said that he would not go ahead with the cut to the top rate of income tax. Remember, that was the rabbit out of the hat on Friday from the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. But he would continue, Keir Starmer, with the cut to the basic rate of income tax, as well as uh, spending on public services. So the big question at this conference is, how are you going to pay for all that? They also need to set out a clear, broad vision for how they would govern. And, of course, there are divisions in the Labour Party right at the top. We're here in Liverpool where strikes are happening at the port and at the top of the party, dis, 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 uh, divisions over how they would handle strikes and unions. So it's an open goal for Keir Starmer, uh, but he's got to sort out the issues in his party first. All right, Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden reporting from Liverpool. Thank you so much. And Lizzie will be joining us again later this hour with Pat McFadden, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Now let's get more on the market reaction to what's going on in the UK. Bloomberg's Danny Berger has more on the fallout. And Danny, I keep looking at these charts of UK assets, wondering if these are really intraday charts. The moves are remarkable. It is extreme whiplash, especially looking at something like sterling at one point cratering to an all-time low, falling more than 4.5% in the Asia market session. But now at the moment, the pound versus the dollar is weaker by only 7 tenths of 1%. It's not even down one whole percentage point even more. And a lot of this is because during the Asian session, it was really only sterling that served as the release valve of this concern on the state of the UK economy. But with the cash market and bonds up and trading, that is where we're seeing the pain. This is a crisis of the bond market really centered around this idea that at the moment debt servicing costs have tripled to an all-time record. There's concern there with how the government is going to fund itself. I mean, 55 uh, basis points worth of gains in the two-year yield. This is financial crisis level moves. We haven't seen gains of this since 2009. It's VAR shock. That's the kind of feeling we're getting from this bond market. Now, part of it is an aggressive pricing from the BOE. Lizzie was just going over this, this idea that they need to entice foreign buyers in. About a third of foreign buyers own the gilt market, so you need to do something dramatic to get them back in. But at the same time, is it just rearranging deck chairs because we have this issue of the government funding itself? I was talking to Martin Maloney of Alphabook, who basically said the government and the BOE actually need to work in tandem. They need to be pro-growth together. Otherwise, they're just kind of opposing themselves. And it's going to be difficult, again, to get foreign buyers interested in and help back this new fiscal policy. All right. The value at risk call is, I think, really interesting. The question is, are we going to start seeing hedge funds blow up? as a lot of them mm. could have been on the wrong side of these totally. trades. Danny, thanks very much, and thanks to Lizzie as well. We'll talk with her later. Now, Italy is on track to name its first ever 
female prime minister. Georgia Maloney won a clear majority in Sunday's election. That sets her up to head the most right-wing government since World War II. Maloney spoke yesterday. It seems clear to me that what came out from the first projections is that Italians in these general elections have expressed a clear indication that they want a center-right government led by Brothers of Italy. Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua joins us now from Rome. So, Francine, um, take us through the results and tell us as well, you know, what does it mean the most right-wing government? How do we gauge that? Yeah, so we gauge by policies, and good morning to you, Matt. We gauge by policies. We gauge, of course, her stance on uh, LGBTQ community rights. So we gauge it on immigration. Uh, some of the things that she said is certainly Italy first. And this is, I think, the concern for the market. So first of all, we have the first female prime minister. She hasn't been given, of course, a chance to form a government yet, but given her large win yesterday, it looks very likely. She is also in her policies a bit of an enigma uh, wrapped in a mystery because markets have been hearing what they've been uh, told by her and her insiders, which is basically that she wants to stick to the fiscal rules. She doesn't want to rock the boat. She will comply with the EU, but she also has to find money to try and, you know, alleviate the cost of living crisis, which is huge here in Italy. At the same time, because of some rhetorics coming from this far right, including her saying that actually um, she certainly didn't disagree in certain policy with Viktor Orban of Hungary, there's a question mark on whether she's ready then to fight with the EU. I have to say the market for the moment pretty placid. It looks like they believe her to her words that she will go forward, uh, stick to the reforms initiated by Draghi and get that 1.9 billion euros of money by the EU in December. Yeah, Francine, she seems to be talking about re behaving responsibly, about fiscal responsibility. The action, the focus for markets is in the UK, of course, today when it comes to these two European political stories. So how instructive is what's happening in Britain to Italy with its large debt pile and with markets watching their focus on responsibility? Well, because, Anna, and good morning to you, of course, the polls were largely right in Italy. I have to say we've been texting with a lot of the sources in government, outside government, people uh, here on set, and they've been saying, wow, look at the UK. Maybe this is a warning shot for Giorgia Meloni and her government. Remember, Giorgia Meloni would not govern her alone. It's with her uh, center-right alliance, which includes Silvio Berlusconi, and Lega, but they haven't done as well as expected. And so some of the promises that they made in terms of, of course, tax cuts, in terms of spending more, um, may have to be revisited in the light of what's happening to Pound. Now, these are two very different economies. And if you look at Italy, they don't really have any fiscal maneuvering. Their debt pile is huge. And again, they've done these agreements with the EU. So I've had more and more people coming on set saying, wow, look at the pound. First question is, can you still afford an espresso if you're coming from <laughs> London? The second one is, of course, maybe Georgia Maloney is looking at, at what's happening in the UK and giving her a steer on how much she can push fiscal spending. All right, Bloomberg's Francine Lacco reporting from Rome. I hope you can get an espresso before you join us again later this hour for an interview with Fabia Foy, head of research at Anima. But before we get there, let's get back to the U.S. markets now and take a look at some stocks moving in pre-market trading. Two of the big movers to the upside are U.S. 
listed Macau casino stocks, stocks that have uh, companies that have big operations in Macau after it said that tour groups from mainland China could resume as early as November. So that would give a big lift to players like Las Vegas Sands, which gets about 60% of its revenue from its Macau operations. It is up about 7.7%, while Wynn Resorts, also a big power, uh, player in the gambling enclave, is higher by nearly 7%. Another group of stocks not doing as well this morning, though, include any Anything tied to commodities, you are seeing a little softness in the commodity complex, in part due to the stronger dollar, in part due to just growing concerns around demand as there is a deteriorating growth outlook. That remains the energy select sector spider ETF, which is essentially a gauge of how the sector overall will do come the opening bell in just about four hours and 15 minutes time is down about half of 1% before the bell, Anna. Okay, Kaylee, lots to talk about then with Mark Hayfley, CIO at UBS Global Wealth Management. What is his, uh, his uh, appetite for UK assets this time? What does he make of the big moves we're seeing higher in UK yields? And later this hour, paying the price of war. The OECD slashes its global growth projections for next year. We will speak with the organization's acting chief economist. That conversation coming up shortly. This is Bloomberg. is behaving a bit like an emerging market turning itself into uh, a submerging uh, market. It would not surprise me if the pound eventually gets below a dollar if the current policy path uh, is maintained. Larry Summers there, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, speaking with Bloomberg's David Weston on Wall Street Week. Mark Hafela, CIO at UBS Global Wealth Management, joins us now. And Mark, I'd love to know what you think of Summers' characterization of the U.K. economy. He says, you know, since uh, we've had Brexit, um, we've had uh, policy, fiscal policy and monetary policy mistakes that seem to make the UK look like um, an emerging market. Do you agree? Well, if we're going to start with, you know, an economist in economic theory, let's uh, start at the top and say what's going on in the UK probably proves that this modern monetary theory is hogwash and it, it doesn't work. Uh, certainly, you know, post-Brexit, I think you were doing a comparison with Italy. You know, Italy's still part of... Uh, the euro and the European Union, but nobody really needs to invest in the UK. As a global investor, we don't need to invest in the UK. And you're, you're seeing that play out uh, in these markets. And the other thing we're seeing play out, you know, as, as now we've gone away from negative rates and the tide has come out a little bit, you know, we're seeing the way that this really starts to play out in currencies uh, in particular. And that's going to be a real feature of the of the world ahead of us so that's the macro but then i'd say on the micro when we aggregate up our stock exposure towards things like value towards things like like energy we actually have a lot of stocks uh in the uk because as you've said you know the FTSE, the larger cap stocks are getting much of their revenues from outside of the uk and so that might be a place for uk investors to look to hide from some of this turmoil i i wonder if 
you know, the UK has a lot of prestige. We care about the UK story more than we care about bigger economies like Germany because I guess they speak the same language as we do. They used to be a huge naval power and um, so many bankers love living in London. Do they lose that? Has that all come out of the price now with the pound at 107? Well, you know, I'm not going to bet against London, which, as you said, many people around the world have an enormous uh, affinity for. But, uh, you know, just look at what has happened to the price of real estate in, say, Frankfurt or in Amsterdam, and you get to a little bit of uh, an answer to your question in, in the relative rebalance for bankers and financial centers, the, the financial center of Europe, uh, you know, as we go forward. Mark, good to speak to you today. Do you think the Bank of England needs to come forward with some kind of emergency rate hike? And what would the right size, if they're thinking about it, what would the right size of such a move be? Too small and it risks underwhelming? Too large? Does it look like panic and, and do damage to the economy? What, what would go through your mind? Well, first, that they're in an extremely difficult spot. I'm not sure. Look, there's no one right answer because, as you've pointed out and as many people have pointed out, this is an interplay of various forces that, you know, should probably in some ways align first and then act, act later, and that hasn't been happening. Uh, so what, as I said, you know, we can't predict exactly how they're going to try to navigate this, so we want to look for the areas those companies that are getting their earnings from outside the UK and, and bet on the sides of this where we're a little more sure of what the outcomes are going to be. And more broadly, some of the things you're looking at in terms of uh, market strategy at this point, Mark, you're talking about positioning for security. And that's not just defence, that's security around all things, around environment, around food security, technological security. Where are the opportunities there? Well, that, look, that's that's absolutely true. And I think over the longer term, looking towards uh, sustainable sources of energy, you know, that's if you look at China, uh, that's that's clear government policy supporting that area area of the market. If you look at what's going on in the U.S., there's more government support for that. Same thing in Europe. And so over the longer term, that kind of security is going to be a key role for investors who are looking to bottom fish a little bit. For us uh, now, security absolutely involves energy. And, you know, it's going to be a very interesting year for Europe as as these gas supplies start to run low in, say, February and March. You know, the I think that uh, Mr. Putin is looking to test that unity in Europe. And that's going to that's going to be a critical juncture mm. uh, as we go forward over the next six months. How much security or safety are you looking for in cash, Mark? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we've got a new world now where you can actually get something of a, of a return uh, on bonds. And so we are overweight, high-grade bonds here in the sense that we think it can provide some cushion and ballast in a portfolio in these, uh, you know, turbulent times. We're overweight the dollar and the Swiss franc as, as safe haven currencies. I think uh, Switzerland has the capacity to and the will to meet uh, inflation. And the U.S., you know, is in this scenario where because there is inflation, uh, but there still is a lot of growth, uh, the, the Federal Reserve can and will 
speak uh, very hawkishly going forward and, and continue to act. And then the dollar in here, of course, has that uh, geopolitical hedge in the sense that the U.S. remains independent of the energy woes that are going on in Europe. Yeah, and we just continue to see the dollar going from strength to strength at the same time that we're seeing rates climb higher and higher. Many of us thought the high of the year may already have been in on Treasuries. Clearly, it was not. We're at 377 almost this morning. Is your year-end forecast, forecast still three and a half? And what gets us back down there when the trajectory all around the world seems to be yields up? Well, I, I, you're right. I mean, I think that we see some some breaks on how high this can go. Obviously, uh, there's there's many factors in flux, but you know, if inflation starts to roll over and some of these Fed rate hikes start to take effect, uh, which we will, we've seen you know we've seen areas of weakness starting in the United States, say around housing, and as that has an impact, that should uh, sl you know slow even further expectations for future inflation and also expectations for how much growth is going to be on the other side of these Fed hikes. And so both of those can act as a break on how high the 10-year goes. We saw uh, the market, the S&P dropped to less than 3,700 mark on Friday. That means we have to climb more than 16% to get to the median estimate um, that strategists have for the S&P at year end. Do you think we're going to start seeing those estimates come down, or is it likely that stocks can rally back up that high by the end of 2022? Well, I'm very pleased that uh, we, we've for some time taken the under on that. We're at 3,900 at the end of the year, um, which admittedly today seems optimistic. Look, I think that uh, this goes you know, whether it's CPI print or, or other data point by data point around what the Fed is going to do. This, this Federal Reserve is not driven in a formalistic, mechanic way on their, on their next moves. And so that creates a lot of uh, speculation and flexibility how they are, what their reaction function is to every data point. Now, we've, we've seen that as this inflation has persisted, we think the risk yeah. of of inflation and a soft landing has come down a bit, and that's reflected in our uh, end of the year pricing. All right, well, we have just about three months to go. Mark Hayfley, CIO of UBS Global Wealth Management, thank you so much for joining us. And later this hour, we will talk about paying the price of the war in Ukraine as the OECD slashes its global growth projections. We'll speak with acting chief economist next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. Here's what you need to know. The pound sinks to an all-time low. Markets react after the British government vows to press on with more tax cuts. An historic election in Italy. Georgia Maloney is set to become the country's first female prime minister and will lead the most right-wing government in Italy since World War II. And the high price of war. The OECD slashes its global growth projections for next year due to the fighting in Ukraine and the impact of high energy prices. We will speak to the OECD's acting chief economist next.
Welcome back to the programme, everybody. I'm Anna Edwards in London, Matt Miller and Kayleigh Lines in New York. And, Matt, of course, risk assets here in Europe under pressure, uh, uh, quite a lot of contagion from the UK story. Yeah, absolutely. And although you see some pockets of green there in terms of the equities trade, that is not what we see here. Um, S&P futures continuing to fall now further. Remember, just uh, 30 minutes ago, we were off one-tenth of one percent. Now we're down about six-tenths of one percent. And this after closing below 3,700 in the cash trade on Friday. So big concerns in terms of risk assets continuing into the start of this week. Part of the reason is the Bloomberg dollar index right now at 13. 1344. Remember, we were pushing around 1313 for an all-time high. Now we've just gone parabolic here. And it's surprising to me that even with this huge gain in the dollar index, you don't see uh, a bigger drop in uh, Bitcoin. I just I saw it a second ago, but it's gone now. In any case, Bitcoin, $19,100. Um, it doesn't matter as much as these other assets. These are more important, obviously, to focus on for the broader market. The 10-year yield up to 377. Unbelievable moves. It's not just UK assets that are getting whipsawed around, or rather just moving violently in one direction. US assets as well. I mean, these yields are incredible. NYMEX crude as well. Below $80 a barrel for the first time since, I believe, January, maybe February, but the first time since the beginning of the year. So this shows real concern that the demand side of the equation is going to come under real pressure. Kaylee, what do you see in terms of the pre-market movers? Well, to your point on demand concern in commodities, you are seeing some commodity-sensitive stocks. Uh, under pressure in pre-market trading, including in the energy complex. ConocoPhillips is down right now by about four-tenths of one percent, while Freeport MacMoran, a material stock, is down by about one percent. There are some big gainers out there this morning, though, including U.S. casino companies listed here in the U.S., but have big operations in Macau. The likes of Las Vegas Sands, which gets about 60 percent of its revenue from Macau, is up about 6.8 percent, while Wynn Resorts is up 6 percent. Of course, the news there is that Macau has said tour groups from mainland China may begin resuming again come November, Anna. And uh, Kaylee, let's have a look at the European picture then. Nervousness around uh, risk assets down by six-tenths of one percent on the stock 600. So earlier optimism around the FTSE MIB uh, certainly being eroded a little bit. We're still positive. That is one area of green. Broadly speaking, though, we are weaker across European stocks. Nervousness about the fiscal picture in the UK. That's the, uh, the, the main point of concern right now. 107.54 on the pound. It went down as low as 103. A new all-time low uh, post-decimalization for the pound. That was during the low liquidity of the Asia session. It's clawed its way back a bit but still off by one percent and here's another illustration of that move in UK assets so we're down on the pound UK yields going higher and a 50 basis point jump in the two year and yes Kaylee that is just in one day absolutely remarkable moves and we've also gotten some moves from the OECD Anna it has slashed its global growth forecast for next year saying the world has been jolted by the war in Ukraine the Paris-based organization says the global economy will expand just 2.2 percent in 2023 that's down from its previous forecast of 2.8 percent and it also says that inflation will still have a six handle uh, for the G20 economies next year. Joining us now to discuss is the OECD's acting chief economist, Alvaro Pereira. Alvaro, thank you so much for being with us. You say in the report that due to those persistent inflationary pressures, central banks need to continue hiking interest rates. At the same time, supportive fiscal policy is needed to help cushion the blow of higher energy costs. What is the proper balance of that, given we are seeing today the impact of fiscal policy plans in the UK? After 
absolutely roiling assets across the board. Well, good morning. Uh, well, uh, our forecast certainly is a challenging one because we are forecasting a significant slowdown of the economy. Um, to say the United States growing at 0.5% next year, uh, the euro area growing 0.3%, and still a, a slowdown uh, in China this year, next year recovering a little bit, but still you know, globally we're talking about significant slowdown. We believe that right now the priority has to be for sure um, uh, bringing inflation down. Uh, it's crucial because real incomes are going down quite significantly, and, and uh, delaying adjustments would only mean that uh, we're going to have a uh, problems on the line and probably even uh, bigger adjustments to, to be made. So we th that's why we say, we say very clearly that, uh, first of all, monetary policy should continue to tighten in the advanced economies. Also, in the, in the emerging markets, uh, it's crucial that uh, it's still early to, to, to uh, undo the tightening that took place a bit earlier, so likely they'll have to continue to tighten a little bit. Uh, and uh, together with this, it's crucial that fiscal policy works hand-in-hand hand with monetary policy so that uh, uh, fiscal support is targeted and temporary, but also without leading to a substantially um, uh, further stimulus into the economy, because a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of economies have high debt levels, and uh, right. it's not prudent to do so. Well, and of course, there still remains a big energy question hanging over both monetary and fiscal policymakers. How do you model out the uncertainty around energy in economies like Europe and what kind of downside risk it could pose to growth and upside risk it could pose to inflation? Well, we have a scenario, in fact, uh, that calculates this. So what we, first of all, we uh, it's important to realize, especially for Europe, what are we talking about? So just to give an idea, uh, storage levels right now in Europe are about 90% in most countries. But uh, storage levels, the capacity is only 110 billion cubic meters, uh, whereas the, an average consumption during winter is about 290 uh, billion cu cubic meters. So we're talking about the substantial gap. So even though uh, many countries are trying to bring more supply uh, to the fold, uh, this likely will not be enough. So what we calculate is that we need to reduce demand between 10 and 15 percent in Europe in order to avoid gas disruptions. But we have a scenario that show exactly that if we have gas disruptions uh, and energy prices, especially gas prices, go up by 50 percent, what is the impact for the, uh, the world economy? Well, we calculated that for Europe, for example, uh, growth uh, would be even lower, will be 1.3 uh, percentage points lower than the already very low 0.3% growth per forecast that we have in our central scenario. So basically, Europe will be in a big recession, or at least in a recession. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, we would have additional um, inflation uh, of about 1.5% uh, in Europe, and in fact, around the world, 0.5% uh, more. So we're talking okay. about the scenario in which if we have big energy disruptions, we would end up with uh, even less growth and likely a recession in many countries, at the same time, more inflation. Okay. Uh, good to see you, Alvaro. There are clearly big global forces at work here. There's also domestic decision-making to be done. We sit here a couple of days, a few days after a, a big announcement from the UK on the fiscal side. How concerned are you about the trajectory of UK fiscal policy? 
Well, first of all, we because the uh, the mini budget came on Friday and uh, this was not still incorporated, and we don't know all the parameters. This was not incorporated in our forecast, so I should say that 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 is important to say. Secondly, we believe that uh, uh, we reiterate our policy message. I think uh, monetary policy uh, needs to tighten now. Um, and just to give an idea, it, right now we calculate that. 80%, uh, well, inflation is growing at, or prices are growing at more than 4%, In 80% of all goods and services in, in, in the UK, uh, which is higher than the euro area or, or, or higher percentage than, than in the United States. And on, on top of this, we believe that it's uh, quite important that, as I said, monetary policy works hand in hand with fiscal policy. So uh, we reiterate the message. Uh, we believe that it's quite essential going forward mm. because otherwise, uh, the adjustment uh, and inflation uh, rising will be likely higher. Although, Evaro, we see it seems to me around the world monetary policy working at cross purposes with fiscal policy. In Japan, in the UK, um, in the US, it seems that central banks are trying to make up for um, government moves. Well, we believe that, uh, again, we reiterate our message. You know, we understand what, what is at stake here. Uh, we also understand, for example, in many countries, not only in Europe, but also in Asia, um, energy prices are going up fairly dramatically. So there is the, uh, the need to support especially vulnerable households and potentially some, some sectors. But we think that is very important. If we get, want to get the job done as quickly as possible without big disruptions down the line, it's absolutely essential that uh, monetary policy and fiscal policy work hand in hand. But you know, I'll give an example. Japan right now um, is a bit different case because Japan uh, inflation, even though uh, is rising a little bit, is still very low level right now. So. Uh, we understand the position uh, of Japan. Of course, other countries like China, they don't have a, a lot of inflation right now. So uh, there, the fiscal stimulus uh, is, is working its way and will work its way a little bit ne next year. So it really depends on specific economies. Uh, uh, but in, uh, overall, uh, in many countries around the world, monetary and fiscal policy should work hand in hand so that we are not able, we, we don't get into a situation in which things get a bit uh, more uncomfortable for all of us. Thank you so much, Alvaro. Good to see you. OECD's Acting Chief Economist, Alvaro Pereira, thank you for your time. Coming up on the programme, a new government in Italy, Giorgia Maloney, is set to become the country's first female prime minister as Italy tacks once again to the right. We're live in Rome next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. You're looking live at the Principal Room. Coming up later today, an interview with the President on the United Nations General Assembly. That's at 6.30 p.m. New York time. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Matt Miller with Kaylee Lyons in New York. Anna Edwards with us out of London. Georgia Maloney has won a clear majority in Sunday's Italian election, setting herself up to become the country's first ever female prime minister. Let's get back to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix in Rome. Francine? 
Hi, Matt. So this will then depend on what Giorgia Meloni uses as coalition. For the moment, she gave one speech after her victory. It's, you know, almost 95% sure that she becomes prime minister. And she was saying, we need to stay the course. So to ask all about this coalition building and what her priorities will be for the budget, we're joined by Fabio Foyce. He's head of research at Anima. Fabio, thank you for joining us. If you're in Giorgia Meloni's shoes right now, what kind of clear message would you give to markets? Well, I think the, market, the, the message for markets is very simple. For the time being, in a very short term, just you know, stay a little bit on the side. Let's see how things uh, develop. We learned something very important uh, from the result of the election of last night. So the center-right won the election, fine, but the composition of the coalition that will uh, lead Italy uh, for the coming years is on the margin less sovereignist than it was before. Because if, on the one hand, we have for, um, Giorgia Meloni, brother of Italy, uh, in a uh, right-leaning, we have Liga, who, who did very you know, yeah. poorly in the, in, the, in the election. So on the margin, I think this, uh, this coalition is slightly more you know, pro-euro than market had expected. However... But Fabio, uh, yeah. Yeah, please. The problem is that they need to square the circle of there's a huge cost of living crisis. So they need to give money to the people that need it most. But they've also promised tax cuts. Yeah, that, that is correct. That is correct. You know, um, I think that they will try to deliver some of the fiscal easing they promised during the electoral campaign. In a way, they have room to find the resources needed to fund some of those, of those measures. For instance, you know, the entire center-right coalition is very much against uh, the uh, um, rate to digital finance, so the universal income. That costs a lot of money to Italy every year, something like, you know, north of uh, $10 billion. If you cut that measure, then you have space to do something, to deliver on some of the promises you made, you know, in the status quo uh, um, uh, level. I think it's important also to bear in mind what Georgia Meloni had been saying during uh, the electoral campaign. She doesn't want to have a confrontational approach uh, with uh, Europe. She mm -hmm. said, for instance, differently from Matteo Salvini, she that said, well, I'm not in favor of expanding uh, uh, the budget because I'm well aware that Italy has its own issues with that. You know, I think these guys, they know very well that they need the protection from the ECB to be protected, to be eligible to uh, um, for the TPI program. This Italy must comply with uh, PNRR uh, um, policies, milestone and target, and also must have some public finances. Fabio, this is, I think, an important point, right? Because um, a lot of people have been saying center-right. We see that in a lot of European nations with no problem. Indeed, core nations like Holland and Germany have had center-right coalitions. Others have said the most right-wing, um, you know, uh, majority since World War II, which sounds scary. It sounds like Hungary or Poland, right? They've had real problems with the EU. Which is it, and how is the EU going to deal with this government? Well, I think that the EU will be very pragmatic as much as Italy will be very pragmatic. You know, so long as Italy um, com uh, um, comply with uh, um, the request of Europe, so in particular with the milestone and the target of the RRP, I think that, you know, the relationship will be, will be decent. Going into uh, um, the budget, there might be, you know, st some, some tension, but at the end of the day, 
I think that this tension will be will be fixed for one very simple reason. You know, if Giorgia Meroni looks around herself, she finds two guys, Silvio Berlusconi and Matteo Salvini, who tried in the past, you know, to be confrontational with Europe, and actually, you know, it didn't really uh, work out very well for their political career. All right, Fabio, thanks so much for joining us. Really interesting stuff. Great to get your insight. Francine Lacroix as well. Excellent coverage there from Rome. We will continue to cover the Italian election results. But we're also going to focus in on the UK. Pat McFadden, the shadow chief secretary to the Treasury, joins us after uh, the mini budget that we saw released from um, the conservatives, Quasi Quartang, on Friday drove the pound down at one point to a dollar three, the lowest ever. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Anna Edwards in London with Matt Miller and Kaylee Lines in New York. Let's get back to Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden, who joins us from the opposition Labour Party conference taking place in Liverpool against a backdrop of market volatility then, Lizzie. And you're joined by Pat McFadden from the Labour Party. Indeed, I am. Thank you, Anna. Pat, thank you very much for joining me and making time for me. Pat McFadden, Chief Secretary, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury. The pounds tanked this morning after the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng announced that he's going to do even more tax cuts on top of all the fiscal announcements on Friday. What lesson does your party draw from this experience in markets? Will it be instructive as you set out your plans uh, for spending and borrowing? We were very concerned on Friday about the scale of the package and the fact that it was entirely to be funded through borrowing at a time when inflation was already high and there was already pressure on the Bank of England to raise rates. Both the package itself and the Chancellor's comments since then appear to have uh, resulted in this very adverse market reaction where uh, the pound, to use your word, is tanking and there's another effect also playing out which is that the cost of guilt uh, is increasing now above four percent uh, in markets this morning very significantly ahead of where they were a short time ago so not only are we increasing borrowing but we're making the cost of servicing that borrowing more expensive this is a risky time for the UK. So what level of yields is needed to attract foreign investors to UK markets? Well, I wouldn't pick a number, but what I would say is people need to have confidence and stability. And what we've got is instability. We had a Chancellor who stood up on Friday and took everything that the Tories have said for the last 12 years about debts and deficits and set fire to it in public and described it as resulting in a vicious cycle of stagnation. So you had this huge policy flip-flop, which was not accompanied by a report from the Office of Budget Responsibility to uh, let us see what the overall macro effects of that would be. You had the sacking of the Permanent Secretary, and you've got this tug-of-war going on between the government and the Bank of England. The metaphor that's been used is the government putting its foot on the accelerator, the bank putting its foot on the brake, that doesn't lead 
to a stable situation. So Kwesi Kwarteng's backing the financial sector. He wants to achieve 2.5% annual growth. He's lifting the cap on bankers' bonuses to stop the exodus to Europe. What's your offer to the city? Well, I used to be the Labour Party's uh, spokesperson on city matters, and I think the financial services sector is hugely important to our economy. It's a huge wealth generator. It's a huge source of tax revenue. It's a huge source of employment. And it also gives us an edge that many countries in the world uh, don't have. So I just wish there had been a modicum of concern for the importance of that sector when the government forgot all about it when it negotiated its Brexit uh, trade agreement, uh, completely leaving the sector out, not making any priority of it at all, uh, and not showing any concern for its market access in future. So I do think the sector is important, but I think the importance of the sector is about more than things like the bonus levels of the richest people working in it. So we've got chaos in UK assets. The eyes of international investors are on your party to see what you might offer as an alternative. What do you tell international investors that you stand for? Well, I think as uh, the markets are reacting to what the government has done, the public will look more to the Labour Party. So this week is a really important week for us. Uh, and we want to ensure the public that they can trust the Labour Party to run the country responsibly. Uh, so uh, when we announce policies, we like to say how they'll be paid for. Uh, we like to have a balance between the tax revenue raised and the borrowing that any government has to do to fund things in a more balanced way and also to project institutional stability. This is hard to quantify, but it's really important for countries. I think the Conservative government has played fast and loose with our institutional stability. We're going to need more of that in the future. Pat McFadden, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, thank you so much for joining me. Anna, back to you. Lizzie, thanks very much. Thanks to Lizzie Burden at the Labour Party conference and to Pat, uh, Pat McFadden there. And uh, really stunning to look at the moves that we're still seeing in these bond markets, gilt yields on the rise. And Matt, you were uh, mentioning what's happening with Treasuries, so sort of linked, not linked, these stories, of course. This is having ripple effects across the Atlantic and around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the question is, does it continue? If so, do we see some big blow-ups? I mean, these moves have been absolutely massive in yeah. assets, Kaylee, that are traditionally very stable, right? So if you take the other side yeah. of this bet, you may not expect to blow up. It's just anything but stable. The two-year gilt yield is about 100 basis points higher today on this Monday than it was at the end of the day Thursday. Anna, it is just astounding. Yeah, that is it for the early edition. More surveillance is ahead. Tom, John and Lisa will keep their eyes on the gilt markets and all of those markets on the move in response. This is Bloomberg.
Atlanta's culture and art scene collide every first Friday of the month at High Museum of Art. High Frequency Friday is back on October 7th for a pride celebration curated by AV Radio's Reed de la Vega. Don't miss a night of dancing, drinks, and drag queen performances as you explore the High's permanent collection of galleries and special exhibitions like Stephen Burke's Shelter in Place and get a first look at the new Dina Lawson exhibition. Tickets available now at high.org. Your signature style isn't just about your clothes, cologne, or watch, but how you bring them all together. Now, with an available 12.3-inch touchscreen display and enhanced handling, the Lexus RX is a vehicle as elevated as you are. The Lexus RX, designed with distinction, crafted with confidence. Get 2.99% APR financing on a 2022 RX350. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important APR offer and pricing details. 48 monthly payments of 2213 for every thousand finance. Not all customers will qualify. Offer available in the Lexus Southern area only in this October 3rd, 2022. How you doing? I'm doing so well. I'm so glad we connected. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy. You're working on this movement that you got going on. It's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely interested in hearing about, you know, more of what you got going on right now. Like what, what is upcycled fashion and, and what is this new, this new venture that you started? I could talk about this for days. I have had <laughs> I have a squeaky chair and some construction happening but <laughs> my um... chair is squeaky as well so okay <laughs> for those of us listening yeah I, uh, I changed chairs this week as well so we're in the same boat <laughs> they can deal with it <laughs> perfect so yeah. yeah so I'm um I about a year ago started an online marketplace for upcycled fashion and mm-hmm. that is the number one question I get you know what is upcycled fashion um and I define it as anything that would have been thrown away not used um kind of left on its own, being repurposed yeah. into something of better and higher quality. Uh, so basically not leaving things to waste, you know, low, zero waste. Gotcha. Fashion. So as as opposed to recycling, um, what would you say is the main difference? Is that you're you're adding more value to the end product or? Yeah, that's so that's exactly, I'll actually kind of define three terms to kind of put it into perspective. Um, yeah. So with upcycling, you take something that would have been thrown away, you make it into something better. Recycling, you take something and you apply um, a process to it. So recycling takes energy, uh, whereas upcycling is, you know, less energy. Mm. And then on top of that, you have downcycling, where you'll take uh, something that, again, would have been thrown away and you make it of a lesser value. So a great example of that is, um, you'll take maybe t-shirts that are unworn companies take t-shirts that were unworn and make it into insulation, make it into shoddy. Mm. So take something that was of some value and making it less. So yeah, all these different ways to just kind of reduce our weight and make use of weight. Nice. And you're, you're incorporating fashion into a way for people to kind of get on board and, you know, kind of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I'm not a fashion girly. You know, I wish I was. They're so chic and cool. I (laughs) just got really overwhelmed by all of the, you know, social, environmental, political, economic issues happening in the world. And the best way I could do something was through the clothes I put on my body or do not put on my body. Um, I think when people hear fashion, they think uh, Vogue or Fashion Week, but... Mm. I mean, you, we're all wearing fashion. We all put clothes on our body or don't, like I said. And yes. so it, it's something that is universal and applies to all of us. And 
I mean, fashion, the fashion industry affects um, all of those issues, like I mentioned, environmental, social, political, economic. Um, So yeah, I think if you hear fashion kind of erase the idea of runways and models and all that, you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, what what about clothes was it for you? Like, as far as like, um, you know, clothing is is like a weird thing where it's both necessary, you know, to keep us, uh, you know, our skin protected, um, but also we use it to kind of express ourselves. So, like, what what made you kind of get into um, like clothing? I guess as a way of expressing yourself. Wow, that's such a good question, and I'm so glad you're saying express yourself because. I don't know about you. I we both I live we both live in New York City and sometimes I walk down the street and everybody looks the same. Everybody's <laughs> following the same trend. Um and there is no expression of self through fashion. So <laughs> that's one one reason I love upcycled fashion is you get to truly express yourself. Um, show your personal style. Um, it's very anti trend. You know, one of the brands on our site is called Untrend. <laughs> So, you know, getting rid of the idea of us all looking the same and, um, yeah, expressing how we want other people to view us, how we want to be seen. Um, Back to the earlier conversation around fashion and how people view it, um, it is a way for us to express ourselves and is a way to, you know, walk into a room that unfortunately we all judge each other. And part of that is what's on our body or not on our body. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's a sure. way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I mean, so, so take me back, you know, when did this first become like a, an idea in your mind where you're like, uh, Oh, this is a pretty cool idea. Let me think about this. And then before you started running with it, you know, <laughs> yeah. I know it's so funny. It's almost like a before time. <laughs> I mean, um, I really think it all started. Well, if I'm being honest, I grew up in a household where everything could be something. We really tried to repurpose a lot of things. We always kind of teased my dad. He had a shelf of like tin containers downstairs that he was like, it's going to be something. And then when we needed a tin container, we would like kind of like tail between our legs, go ask him for it. Um, And then I went into the Peace Corps. I volunteered in Uganda for three years, and I really saw the amount of waste, and specifically fashion waste, that gets dumped in these these countries that accept Mm. secondhand donations. Um, And because clothes are made so cheaply nowadays, cheaply both labor-wise and material, you know, production-wise, that by the time they're shipped all around, and they're just no one wants it, you know. Um, but having said that, I did love shopping in the secondhand markets in Uganda. <laughs> okay. It was, it was a little bargain bin hunt, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, then I went to grad school. I thought I was going to get into sustainable banking and finance. I had a fancy pants internship at a private equity firm and mm. quickly learned that I don't want to be behind a computer. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> in the firm knew that about yeah. me too. <laughs> and I kind of discovered by chance the, sustainable fashion community in new york city i went to an event uh called refashion week like you know gosh two weeks before the pandemic this was like remember january 2020 talk about before time wow yeah (laughs) um i can hardly remember right and uh i just i learned all about the stats about how impactful 
fashion is. And then I saw all these beautiful upcycled brands and upcycled products. Um, and I kind of inserted my way into that community, started a blog about upcycled fashion and turned it into this marketplace. Wow. So what, what about it? Like, what about starting the blog? Did you think like, um, like what was that turn for you to turn it into a marketplace where people can come on and sell their own a fashion? And cause to start a marketplace, you kind of really do have to start a movement and, and get on board with movements and get people to, you know, actively want to engage with the marketplace. So it's, it's very difficult. I, I've worked on, on others with, with other, other like, um, you know, seller marketplaces. And it's like one of the hardest things to, to get out there and to get people to, to use and engage with and, you know, enjoy. So like, what, what, what about the marketplace kind of drew you to that? You were, you were asking the perfect question. Oh my gosh, you're super good at this. This you just hit on so many things. Um, yeah. I guess I'll 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 be honest. I always wanted to do a marketplace, but then okay. a friend of mine was like, start a blog. So I started the blog, got some traction, and then started the marketplace. Huh. Um, so it was always in my head to have this idea, but yeah. you're a hundred percent right. We need engagement. Um, Reclipped is I always say it's more than an upcycled marketplace. It's where you go to extend the life of your clothing on any budget. So that in and of itself is a community. We have the marketplace. We have a mending club. We have our pop-ups. We have meetups. We have our discord. We have, you know, all nice. these like different WhatsApp groups that we're all chatting in. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, it is difficult in that, um, you know, just because you have a community doesn't mean you have sales. Right. right. So I'm currently yeah. in that. Um, uh, I guess I'm just touring. I, I love the community. I had an event just uh, this past Wednesday at Samsung meatpacking. And it was just the, 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 the engaging conversations that were happening yeah. were just on a different level. Um, and it luckily had some sales too, but you know, I would love to build this into something larger to reach more people. So it's like chicken and the egg. Right. Do I engage more people or go and then eventually get sales or do I push sales and then get more people? And I don't it's, know. Any advice on how they take it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, there's no like one cookie cutter answer. Unfortunately, you're going to have to just try it and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what you're doing. You know, it's, it's an enormous amount of work that you got to put into this. Um, and then to make it successful to build a community. Like, I don't think people, I think a lot of people underestimate how much work goes into it, how much of your time that you have to dedicate to it to actually get it as far as you've gotten it. It's, it's incredible. So yeah, I commend you on that. It's you're, you're, you're past like the, the, the hard part, the hard part. And then it's getting a little harder, <laughs> but you know, yeah, just I be think patient. That yeah. Um, I was talking to a fellow, I guess, entrepreneur and yeah. You know, once you get to, you have, I guess the best, I'm going to try and do a visualization. You're going up these, up this ladder and you, mm. you have an end goal. You know, once you get there, there's another ladder. Yep. There, so there's always, you hit a goal, hopefully, and there's always <laughs> something more. And typically it's better and you're growing, but yeah, it really is just constant up, 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 hard work. Um, you know, just being on my computer, on my phone all the time, which I hate, but it's, <laughs> I guess when you have an e-commerce platform, you have yeah. to be on a computer and your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Turns out, I, know. I, I did yeah. not realize that. So, 
after after 16 hours a day you're like what why did i sign up for this i and it's so it's yeah. so funny too because i was just talking to someone again at this event on wednesday it's such amazing amazing engaging conversations i was talking to yeah. someone about and i said this i was like i don't know how people shop online like <laughs> like i said i have an e-commerce website and i'm not someone who really shops online but yeah. but i'm the oddball out here people are you know purchasing 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 to the roof so um yeah especially after yeah oh yeah it again no yeah i'm saying especially after covid it's like uh, online sales went insane people realize that it's like oh yeah instagram wants to turn into basically a catalog too you know that's their plan um so it's just they're they're picking up on the trend and um i just heard and i didn't even look into it apparently tiktok has like a marketplace too yeah, I think they're all trying to get in on that. They're, they're yeah, trying to, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook started it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Facebook started successfully. They, you know, there's other pl- platforms like Etsy and uh, yeah. what is it like OfferUp, things like that. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely good to have a, a niche, which is what you have, where it's like very specific, very specific type of, um, you know, uh, fashion, upcycled fashion. Yeah. Yeah, that is... And that's a crazy. common question. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no worries. It's a Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 just crazy that it's like you were just inspired from that one event, that one show, where it's just like, oh, it just opened up this whole new world for you. Where you know, and you think about that, most people they you know they choose not to go out and put themselves out there, and then those moments may not happen if you don't put yourself out there. So. Yeah. Yes, that is such a. Um, Another great point. Um, I cannot stress enough to people. I, I, I then again, I'm not sure. I might have the entrepreneurial spirit. Like that's something yeah. I've always wanted to start a social enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just I think there's so many ways to how can I say this? Kind of change the world we live in. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully for the better. Um, and so I can't even imagine a starting a company nowadays that isn't helpful for people. <laughs> that to me is, I don't understand it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's my flaw. But, and secondly, I mean, there's so many avenues to do it. Shopify, there's online, like Instagram, TikTok, shopping. It's just, yeah. um, it's just such a great time to be an entrepreneur, I think, you know? It really is because, you know, the internet kind of open that up to a lot of people and now it's at a point where we have you know all these different platforms that are you know more and more over time it's just designed to connect with people more and better yeah so i think that's the key there it's just like you're able to connect with so many people now that you're that previously whatever 20 years ago you wouldn't have ever dreamed of you had to put, spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend a commercial put it on on tv to get the same amount of like views that you would get on a typical instagram reel right now that's so wow that's i never thought of it that's so true yeah 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 it's crazy how much access we have to it so now now we can be more creative with it we can we don't have to do the same you know we have to go into the networks and abide by their rules so there's a lot more creativity and more freedom with it which is pretty cool and um yeah that's that's cool that you're kind of starting this like what what made you um uh kind of think about this as a business you were trying to get into finance and then 
So tell me I about know, that. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. It's not, it's not for me either. <laughs> yeah. It's a, any type of like a nine to five job is just like soul crushing to me. You know, before, before starting my own business, I, I was working nine to five full time. Uh, I was working nights and mm. then I was doing everything else during the day. So it was just like, um, full, like full day of that's a of grind. Day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was doing that for a few years and then, um, yeah, but it's necessary. Like you just have to put in the work and the nine to five is there for security and helps you out, pay your bills, yeah. make sure you're not, you know, gives you a little bit of freedom. You have to put in a lot of work, but it's, you know, it's worth it. Um, and to I, me anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, but and there's two things I um and I am so grateful to the people who that is for them because yeah. you know they're running my online shop right now behind the store they're <laughs> running um all these things that are making my business work so I yeah I don't understand thing I don't it's not for me I don't get it but I am so grateful that people do because it's running what yeah. we just talked about all these like connectors uh it's running mm. running running the internet um and uh secondly yeah I mean I'm also I'm a nanny by day, so that's how I pay the bills. This is nice. by no means my income, uh, my main income. And so, yeah, you just it's. I'm also at that point too, where, um, at what point do I let go of my, you know, I guess side hustle, you know, or w- at what point do I make this my main thing? You know, yeah. uh, when can I kind of step off? Because that's really when you can commit the most time and really put the most effort in. Yeah, but it's scary. <laughs> It is. And it's like a lot of pressure to put on yourself uh, to take that leap. And uh, so I, here's here's what I'd say about that, you know, because I've done it where mm-hmm. yeah. for me, for me, it was like, it got to a point where I was just like, you know, I, f- I learned as much as I could. Now I just needed the time. Like I just needed the time mm. and I needed the energy. So I was like, if I just, if I, I just took the leap, I, I took the risk. If I put all of my energy and time into this of what I've been building over the past couple of years, then I just believed that something would come out of it. Yeah. And then I just, I just did. I was like, all right, I have to, I have to go for it. So it was, um, scary for my wife, honestly. I, I was, mm-hmm. I was, <laughs> I was fine with it. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, it, it felt, it felt right for me. And just doing anything like um, like working for someone else just for me doesn't, it's not worth it. So mm-hmm. I, instead of having the financial security of a nine to five job with like insurance and all that stuff, I would rather be like the broke artist who is creatively free and, you know, doing whatever. That's what I care about. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of what, uh, you know, what drove me to do this. Um, is that, is that similar where you like, you found that out <laughs> while you're doing uh yeah. I yeah I um when you're talking about really believing in yourself that re- that real that resonated with me I think you kind of sometimes you read those articles where it says um you know what top execs do or how what 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 are five things top execs have in common and one of them is always they just believe in themselves they have yeah. this unwavering belief that what they're doing is going to work you know at any cost and so I think having that mindset is it is is what's not not even it's necessary right it's not even like maybe if you need to believe in yourself i mean if you don't believe in yourself who will and so yeah talking about kind of going for it and saying i'm going to make this work and then secondly too i think you're right when you're looking back whether it works or not 
you have to know that you put all your efforts and your best foot forward. You, yeah. you know, you can't say, well, it didn't work because I didn't give enough time or effort. Um, it, it didn't work for X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. And understanding that it doesn't work sometimes too. And being flexible and pivoting, I'm sure you know, you started <laughs> one way, went another way. And now you're back. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Several times over and back. Yeah. Just constantly trying new things. And I think you're right. Like, here's the confidence, the belief. I think it comes as a side effect of putting in the work. And if you're, you know, if you're sitting at home, just not really doing anything, you're, if you know that you're not putting your energy into something, then you're not going to have that belief. Like it's just not, and it's not going to come out of any, like nowhere. That's, mm -hmm. that's, I don't think, I don't think so anyway. I mean, you can, I guess, not put in any work and, and have a strong belief and then yeah. it's bigger risk, but <laughs> you can. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, you, you know, there's so much stuff that you have to, that goes into this, like behind the scenes of, you know, working full time. And then after hours, you know, you sacrifice a lot, sacrificing yeah. with relationships, with friends, mm -hmm. um, family. Yeah, yeah. This past year, I've been on a very big, um, not, I hate the no new friends thing, but it's <laughs> even like no friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. I luckily I have a, a friends who support what I'm doing and know why I'm saying no to these events or know they know why I'm flaking if right. I always say yes and then say no yeah. um <laughs> but yeah but yeah. so luckily I have them and there's you know I have a really good support network there but yeah it's um it's been really different and kind of like I, I, I mentioned I'm learning a lot about myself um yeah. learning my workflow um one big thing I was just talking to someone about too is setting boundaries I mm. Yes. I, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, set up a call at 8.30 p.m. And to some people, that make, that's totally fine. For me, I'm done at 7 <laughs> and 7.38. Um, yeah. You know, but I'm also up at 6. So it's, you know, these different things here and there. So ended up, it was maybe 8 o'clock, and I was like, I just want to have dinner. I want to sit down. I'm done. And I ended up, you know, canceling, rescheduling for the next morning. But yeah. I was talking to that person that, that I, you know, rescheduled with, with and I, I, I have to, I have to have those boundaries. I have to know when to let myself recharge or it's just not going to be quality, you know? And yeah. I think that's the hardest part because we live in this grind culture. Um, and you have to re, in my head, re, I guess, rebrand. It's not, you know, just sitting there doing nothing. You're recharging. You're doing right. something, you know? So that's, but that's so, so, so hard. It's, it's hard, but it's super important. Like, you know, if you think about, you know, working out, you know, people are really good at exercising, working out, terrible at recovery, ter oh, terrible yeah. at rest. It's just, it's just something that I don't know, maybe we're just not, it's not something that we focus on. Yeah. Because um, it's not, it's intangible. As far as like, you know, we're doing something and then we'll, we'll feel it later, you know. <laughs> so Yeah, you and you and you will, you can't, yeah. you can only outrun it for so long. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, it, it'll catch up. Yeah, there's those days yeah. where you just push, 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 push. Excuse me, those those times you push, and then yeah. you just need even more time to recover because you didn't let yourself recover earlier. You know, it's the same yeah. right for like a sports injury or working out injury, and you yep. keep running on it, and then you break it, and then you're out for months, not just yep. days or weeks. Instead of just taking the time to do like a few weeks of physical therapy, you know, using the tools that you have available to you totally to kind slowing of slowing down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 
it's hard because when because for some reason the the culture we're in it's like you you feel like you're not doing anything if you're if you're resting yeah when, i yeah and i um yeah. well, off, I was say. um oh i told you i spoke and i just lost it and i cut you off too <laughs> sorry <laughs> no worries. Yeah, please please don't worry about it yeah i mean it it's um yeah uh, so let's um I want to hear more about your time in uh, Uganda, actually, because you mentioned that you were there for three years. Yep. So Peace Corps is yeah. two years. I extended for a third year, like okay. a like a cuckoo person. <laughs> <laughs> what? So what was the experience like when you first signed up? Like, what what were you feeling when you first like getting on a plane out there? You know, were you, were you excited? Were you nervous? It was truly ignorance is bliss. I did, I was, God, I was young. I was like 22, 23 when I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had no idea what to expect. And I think that was for the best. I, it's funny. I've all, all throughout college, I always wanted to do it. Um, yeah. And then I, and then I did, you know, so it's one of those things where I went into it blindly. Um, they, I made amazing friends because yeah. amazing connections. And I, and I was just such a life experience. Because uh, you really have your highest highs and your lowest lows in Peace Corps. Um, they say that, and it could not be more true. So, wow. again, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you learn way more about the world, as you can imagine. Um, sure. And it's something that it feels like a dream now. It feels like I didn't. It was, gosh, it was like 10 years ago that I left. So, um, wow. you know, it just seems like it actually happened. Isn't that crazy how our brains just like, you know, normalize stuff like that it's yes. just like yeah, yeah. it's because uh, i'll like weird... walk around new york i'll like walk around new york and be like oh, why don't i have five bars why can't i make this send this text or load this email yada yada <laughs> and i'm like girl <laughs> if you didn't have internet or electricity for three years like how are you yeah <laughs> yeah exactly we just get used to it so quickly it's crazy mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was like, what was the experience out like there? You're, you're meeting new people every day. Like what was your day to day with the Peace Corps? Yeah. So the first two years I was in um, Western Uganda, um, mm-hmm. beautiful, lush, green, hilly part of the country. I think a lot of people think of Africa or East Africa or Uganda. They think of um, desert or Sahara, like mm-hmm. Lion King. And it's, it's such incredibly vast um geographical place and so just beautiful area that i was in um got to hike mountains which is really cool um but my job i guess is kind of what you're asking for <laughs> is uh <laughs> i worked at a, a high um a high school i was okay. english teacher math teacher and i really explored um the special needs uh students with disabilities area mm-hmm. of uganda that was what i went to undergrad for i was a special ed teacher before oh, okay. um and uh, I learned really quickly that there's so much stigma and there's all these myths around disability. Mm-hmm. So it was really just a lot of myth busting um, and kind of talking about the science of it, mm-hmm. and obviously in layman's terms. Uh, and I, you know, luckily I I loved that so much that I was connected to a special needs school in Entebbe, Uganda, which is mm-hmm. way more urban we were cosmopolitan um and i was for a year i helped kind of build their school up it's kind of like a vice principal there and it oh, was that's awesome uh incredible experience 
that was the third year that you were there? Correct. Yeah. Wow. That was a different location, different job. Um, uh, just, so uh, yeah, I mean, the memories I have and the skills I learned and the people yeah. I connected with too, and we still chat on, on Facebook Messenger and we'll still like pictures here and there. And it's, it's nice to see people, what they're doing with their lives. What was it like? What was it like being there? Like, do you, did you ever consider, you know, living there while you were staying there? You were there for quite a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know my, that was my, my mom's biggest fear that I would never come back. <laughs> um, Cause I was always that kid that would, you know, I, you know, I did a study abroad. I traveled here uh, and there. And so she's like, Oh gosh, I'm not going to see my daughter ever again. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't think I ever considered staying there for a long time. I definitely considered uh, staying in areas like that, maybe bopping around to different places. Okay. Um, that's kind of what brought me to grad school. I really wanted to get into economic development um, mm. and work because I got into the savings and loans uh, work out there, Grameen Bank type of thing, because um, I really saw the, uh, the need for um, funding. I mean, you need finances to make mm. these things work. Um, yeah. And uh, I didn't love that with these savings and loans, you immediately put people into debt without educating them about debt. Um, because, I mean, as we all know, it's, it's, it's all, it could be, it's awful, right? And so, yeah, um, student loans. As, yeah, like the loans idea, it's a good idea, but the debt part is um, kind of overlooked and um, kind yes, of scary. Very much so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward, that, that's, again, with grad school, that's how I got involved with impact investing. And I thought, mm. okay, we're not putting people into debt. We're funding things and we're using uh, blended finance and, you know, creative ways to um, bring cool. finances into projects. Yeah. Nice. And then, so you got your master's, um, nice, in New York? Yeah, I went to Fordham. I went to IPAD, okay. um, which is International Political Economy and Development. It's a oh, nice. part of their school program yeah. did you go to the rose hill one or yeah did you go to fordham <laughs> i went to no i went to fordham prep the the high school there <laughs> oh my gosh no way yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah so many years ago that's crazy i think they were like doing 15 year anniversary or something like that or 15 wow. year alumni or something like that and it goes and, back uh, so fast. oh my god this this <laughs> it's crazy i i can't even imagine like what the next 10 years is going to be like <laughs> it's gonna be, I, it's right? gonna, i'm gonna blink and it's gonna be i'm gonna be 40 or no, yeah. I know, I, yeah, and it's so it's so funny because when I was younger, I thought of a forty year old as like just the oldest person on the planet. Super old. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Now I'm like, yeah. we're young and alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forty is the new twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, I would never be able to run this business in my twenties. Like, no, there's no, no way. So I'm person. right. So it's just, um. The twenties are fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's just yeah. I'm grateful for the age and the experience <laughs> to kind of get this stuff together. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, when I was in uh, when I was in college, I went to Stony Brook out in Long mm -hmm. Island. Um, so instead of uh, I actually studied abroad too because it's yeah I went to uh, I went to Australia. It was <sighs> like uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, it was. Ooh. It was funny because. I was supposed to graduate out there, so I was, I was, that was going to be my last semester. Oh. And then I got more interested in like neuroscience and um, more of the science aspect of psychology. So I decided to uh, change my my uh, degree to, from a BA to a BS, and I had to take a year's worth of like 
science courses and math courses when I came back. Wow. And um, so, yeah, when I, when I was, so I guess my fifth year there, so I was a five-year, um, mm-hmm. I went back and I was taking these like, you know, freshman level chemistry classes and stuff. And mm-hmm. the difference when I, I think I was like 21 or 22 at the time, and the difference for the, they felt like children, like these 18 year olds. It, it was insane. Right. And I was, I felt like I was like, oh yeah, I was like that four years ago. Just a couple. Yeah. A handful of yeah. years ago. Yeah. And then even then, like thinking about the way I was in my twenties, I was like, whoa, it's, it's insane. The, the difference. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it's just a matter of a few years too. Yes. Yeah. It's possible Wait. to grow a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's wait, that's so cool. I mean, talk about pivoting, going from a BA to a BS, and just knowing you're going to take a little bit longer. Yeah. Did you study? Do you do those? Do that fifth year out in Australia or back at Stony Brook? Back at Stony Brook. Mm. Yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah, it was like uh, I think one semester I was taking like 21 credits. Um, I was I work I was working full time too. I was working at the Starbucks on campus at the time. Oh wow. Yeah, and then uh. Yeah, I was also like playing ultimate frisbee. You know, I was on the team doing stuff. So, besides that, and I was I was actually trying to trying to do well in school because before I didn't really care as much. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. really into school. Um, I was mostly self taught. Like I teach myself everything. Like I taught myself mm. all you know, filmmaking and all that stuff. And that's that's kind of how I get into it. Mm. But I, I realized that it was just like it was just not for me. And then I, you know, afterwards, I, I worked in a research lab for a couple of years. Wow. And then um, it was interesting. We were doing like neuroscience research on uh, alcoholism and genetics. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. HBNL lab in Brooklyn. Shout out. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, um, they've been going for years, like almost decades, um, doing these well, long-term what, studies with families. Yeah. yeah. What was your day-to-day there? That I always, I'm, I'm so not a science person, so labs are so interesting to me yeah. and research like that yeah so i was mostly the technician running the experiments so we would do eeg studies so mm. i would have them um hooked up and they, we had this like soundproof booth and it was completely like electro you know um i guess a proof uh so mm. and then we had a, a separate computer outside and we would feed them these these questionnaires these tests that they would do these cognitive tests like mm. puzzles and stuff like that testing their reaction and then we would um basically you know track their brain waves through this cap that we would put on and then we would take the the brain wave caps um we would interview them we would do blood work um so it was like a full a full thing we would what type of um questions it was like uh, i didn't i didn't do the questions the Mm -hmm. the interviews um but Mm -hmm. it was like almost an hour long of questions wow where it's just like you know how much how much um you know, family history, how much do you drink per week? How many drinks do you, do you say per day? Mm. What type of drinks? Who's who in your friend group is drinking? Like, mm-hmm. it was it was an hour of that, basically. Yeah. And, I just, uh, um, yeah. One of my friends just posted on like his Instagram being like, hey, you know, no judgment. I'm just trying to gauge how the pandemic affected my drinking. How many drinks does everyone have a, have a week? You know what I mean? Cause, yeah. And because drinking really like, uh for a lot of people took off during the pandemic and now we're and it didn't come back down so it was really interesting to see him be very vulnerable about that and and very like you know self-aware but yeah i mean the hereditary part of it i'm sure gosh that's so so then you would can you tell us what like the sign the findings were or is still research still happening yeah i mean there's still it's still ongoing but it's definitely mm-hmm. hereditary 
Like mm-hmm. there's definitely a genetic component. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you had twins, um, both of them, if they came from alcoholic parents, and if one twin was separated, lived in a non-alcoholic family, wasn't grown up, they still have the same amount of risk, like amount of uh, chance mm-hmm. of becoming an alcoholic if they're introduced to it. Wow. So it's it's the situation as well. It's your surroundings, your you know how you're raised. That's all a factor. But the the genetic risk is like you know if you have parents who are alcoholics, your your risk you know be aware that you have much higher risk than than anyone else who doesn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, they were they were learning that about most addictions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, most addictions. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so you don't know much about this. Yeah. Well, because um, it. I mean, I not to get back to the business thing, just for a brief moment. I really, I did this past year. I just because I haven't had many outings with friends, <laughs> I just stopped drinking a lot. You know, just because yeah. I didn't have the opportunity to, and yeah. it like I, because I would never be hungover. I would mm-hmm. just, my would just be a little bit slow. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't make those connections fast enough. And so I have noticed, like, without the, even a glass of wine, you know, it's, mm. I'm just performing better, much better, which I'm, I know it's not innovative or like a new thing, but it's just, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, wow, like even just a couple glasses of wine, a glass of wine here and there, without that, I'm much better. So this is like kind of wild to talk about yeah. too in the hereditary part of it. Yeah. I mean, I used to drink a lot. Like definitely, uh, I was actually, yeah, since the pandemic, I've really cut down on drinking. Um, it's because it's uh i don't know it's just i don't find the the joy out of it anymore right i don't really yeah, do it socially yeah i don't mm-hmm. go out <laughs> so yeah um, exactly yeah. it's like one of the things especially <laughs> when you're like married and uh, you know it's right. like when it, you go to these bars and you're kind of like everybody should make an eyes at everybody and you're like, yeah. is this what is this what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah also you know since i haven't been drinking like if i have one drink i feel terrible like my body's like whoa I thought we were done with this. Take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's this I poison? I we were done with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, we uh, recover. Talk about age. We don't recover as well anymore. I think yes. too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will say, you know, if you, if you want to feel better, just stop drinking. I, I <laughs> it, cannot. It I cannot. Yeah. Voice it up. Even like my, you know, I guess as, as the face of the company too, like I just might buy a, my skin my like just general like bags are no longer there with drinking it's just like crazy how it affects <laughs> mind body mentality you know oh yeah like, everything yeah i mean it's literal poison that you're putting in your body that, and then you, yeah and then and it makes you feel good and <laughs> then your liver's like damn again yeah borrowed time yeah yeah but it, it is it is interesting because it's it is it is very useful in social situations like you know kind of loops mm. you up gets you a little less uh, out of your head um there's there's you know other things you can do obviously to, to have the same effect but it's just like getting out i think um as a business owner is 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 important i thought you know i thought before like what we were saying earlier about like rest and recovery mm-hmm. i think actually taking the time to go out and meet meet new people is important because that's it's really i get most of my you know business or connections it's just going out actually meeting people it's like mm-hmm. it hasn't been from any uh any online um interactions thus far as far as that yeah i really i listened to um i really enjoy your podcast but the one i enjoyed the most was with the new york Times photographer uh, Caleb, and how you yeah. met him at um 
like a mixer or something like that. Yeah, and random. Was, yeah. Yeah. And it was a yeah. great conversation, something I never knew about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was cool. Yeah. Caleb, yeah, from uh Vermont. He was uh yeah. All the aerial shops and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful and I, stuff. Yeah. I um I agree. I think it's so funny. I was just like I mentioned, I just had a really big event Wednesday and I was like everyone in that group kind of knows each other is part of similar memberships in here and there. And I was like, okay, I think I I think for next big event, I want to start branching out other places. Just not because, I mean, they were great partners, everyone's great, but exactly what we said, just to get yep. new ideas, fresh input, um, yep. you know, just expand your reach, if you will. Yeah, just just trying different things, having more variety. You know, I think it's it's mostly just, I think the biggest takeaway is just putting yourself out there. You know, that that uncomfortable feeling you get when you have to go do something and like go talk to someone new or, you know, just like you've or you don't feel like talking today. <laughs> yeah. Happens a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for me, too. So I have to go. Um, I have to kind of scout out designers and brands for my marketplace and I'll yeah. go to these events and whatnot. And I, I I consider myself quite social and personable and I could talk to a wall. But I still I still get that kind of like what do I say? Like, how do I introduce yeah. myself? How do I, you know, how, also, how do I not sound like a corporate drone? I want to be like, I have a marketplace. Let's get you on there. I want to like actually yeah, sales, have a relationship sales, sales. with this brand, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the key. You know, you just make relationships with people, you know, talk to them about shared interests and mm. then whatever comes from that comes from that. But yeah, the, the whole sales approach doesn't work. It's, like, right. it's, no. just, it's, it's so sleazy. And yeah, you know, yeah. there's no way to I know that that's a big part of and well that's something I have to kind of also kind of work on too is I am too casual you know I had I remember about six months ago I had a call with maybe some investor if I look in retrospect I realized he was like scoping out investments and I was just way too casual in my like work community you know hat and not wearing my businesswoman hat and yeah. I was like oh I gotta I gotta kind of figure out when to when to switch those hats way yes. more way more uh, quicker. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, so you know we're talking about this. He's like, oh, what's your <laughs> what's your numbers looking like? And I was like, oh, well, we yeah. just kind of hang out, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, we have these meetings. Every, yeah. <laughs> it was one of I mean, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? But it was just one of those funny moments yeah. where he even said to me in a very nice way, he's like okay, look, you know, I'll check in later, you know, when you're a little bit, you know, more serious. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the the worst part, yeah, the worst part is when you find out he's right and you're like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it hurt, but it was, I mean, yeah. great feedback. I mean, that's the only way to grow. It's the only way to get, get better once you realize yeah. that it's like, oh yeah, I'm nowhere near, I'm nowhere near close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a little Yeah, humbling. I think that's, <laughs> Well, yeah, like I said, it was it was like one of those like oh, like fist to the gut kind of like oh that that I, I felt that, but yeah, yeah, you know now I know when I research people and I see investor or you know whatever business thing there are, I'm like okay, different hat, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of necessary, you know, I, and you realize that after like um, after talking to different types of people too, mm. like you kind of have to you know just it, you're not like changing you know or you're not acting you're still yourself yeah. you're just putting in a different perspective for them that's how i see it that is a good way to, yeah i think i still have to find out who i am as a ceo right? right i'm very comfortable being a founder very comfortable being a community member but yada yada but as a ceo i 
Um, yeah. I need to kind of figure out my my brand, <laughs> if yeah. you will. It's a job. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it's basically. Uh, it, I mean, you'll figure it out. It's it's something that you know just mm -hmm. takes time. It takes a lot of experimenting. I'm still figuring. I'm still figuring out. I'm changing my website every like two minutes. Oh my god! I just, yeah. wait. Talk to me about that. I literally am doing that. I'm going from WordPress to Shopify right now. Okay. Tabs are open behind me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, uh, I'm not too familiar with Shopify. I use WordPress for for my site. Mm -hmm. Um. And then we basically just redid a whole landing page on there. Um, so I, I designed the whole thing. Um, I designed it on Canva, actually. Do you use Canva? I, oh, my God. I like, it turns out I love the design part of this stuff. I love Canva. It's fun. Canva makes it makes it fun, makes mm. it pretty easy. I have the, the pro subscription. Yeah, so, I, I yeah. recommend that. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's like um, I've used everything else. I've used Photoshop and all that stuff. And it's like this pretty much does the same thing. Unless you're trying yeah, to get into, that. unless you're trying to get into like specific like designs, like like more advanced stuff, then you would have to use you know Adobe or something like that, uh, obviously. But mm -hmm. for for most things, like Canva is is really good. Like we've designed a couple websites on there, where it's just like we put all all the things together and then we send it to our team of developers and then they just like translate it. It's crazy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah my fun. branding was on Canva, and I and I, I love it. It's so easy. Yes, to use. they're good at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you set up your own brand boards and like your fonts, mm -hmm. and so that way it just makes it easier when you're making posts. And yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because I think that is one thing too is the consistency. You know, I'm, I'm just keeping everything the same, letting people just know that this is where we are, this is what we look like. So right. it's helpful for that. I mean, as far as as far as like consistency, I mean. You're going to just keep figuring out what your message is going to be. You're going to just keep fine tuning that message. Like I've had 17 log lines already for the, for the, <laughs> for the company where it's just like, keep, I keep as I, as time goes on, as I talk to more people, as I get more clients, I'm just like, Oh, I'm actually doing this more <laughs> instead of this. Yeah. So, you know, you yep. just refine it over time instead of, you know, instead of my old approach, which is just like be paralyzed by fear and, and not try it because you're just overthinking and you're like, I need a perfect strategy. And yeah. Then, uh, no such yeah, thing. That's yeah, that's the strategy. Yeah, I need to get more strategized, but I need to also not, you know, just stick with it with tight, you know, tight knuckles yeah. or clenched knuckles. I mean, it's just like, if you get good at just doing things and mm -hmm. just like, just, just doing it, then, then you can start implementing the strategy because that's like the driving force behind whatever direction you're going to put it in. So if you start the other way around, it's, it's harder to build up momentum. Um, so, sure. I mean, it's people do it all the time. If you have a lot of money, sure. You can start with strategy. You can start with people with a team that yeah. knows exactly what they're doing. Cause they've done it before a million times, but you know, when you're doing this yourself, which are, are you doing this yourself? Do you have partners or. Yeah, it's just me. Um, I have nice. uh, two girls that I have one. Um, what we call her a, uh, Oh my God, she, we had to, with her her day job. We have to be very conscious of what we're. And she's an advisor, she's an okay. advisor. That's gotcha. all, everybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then another who is really helpful with our mending club and with strategy and kind of our our behind the scenes like COO type. Nice. Deal. Oh yeah, tell me about the mending club. It's uh, when did you start that? I'm so glad you asked. Um, yeah. it's my pride and joy, if I'm being honest. Um, nice. and I owe it to those two girls, Tree and Annie. If you're listening, I like would not be where I am without them. Um, nice. 
it kind of came about because, like I mentioned, the marketplace is always my idea, but mm-hmm. I wanted it to be, again, like I mentioned, a community. And so sure. what does this community revolve around? Revolves around getting rid of disposable fashion. You know, we, we're not throwing away things. We're using it for something. Upcycling, downcycling, recycling, whatever. Yeah. Um, so a perfect way to do that is a mending club. So we have them. We try to do one, one a month. We just, like I mentioned, just have one on Wednesday. Our next is October 9th um, in Park Slope. But it really, yes, you learn three new stitches. You learn how to sew a button. Or, you know, we can teach you how to do a patch. But it really yeah. is just a community. Like people talking to each other having these engaging conversations. Um, and, you know, we always have one or two people come who are so experienced at mending and bring their own projects and can help each other out. So, nice. um, yeah, it's really just another arm, another way for us to fight, like I said, disposable fashion. Where do you, where do, you do this? And all around. We've done it uptown. We've done it um, downtown in Brooklyn. We're trying to look at oh. spaces in Astoria and Queens. Um, nice. Uh, following our Instagram is the best way to know where and when it happens. But sure. um, yeah, once a month, we try to get everyone together. Are you looking to, uh, to do that more frequently? Like a once a week yeah. type thing? Or... Yeah. We're very lucky in that um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's demanded. All of our events, people have asked us to come. We haven't reached out yet. Oh, um, nice. And because I think, that the, again, with the COVID, um, a lot of people wanted community they want the people nearby and so this is a great way to do that and you learn a new skill um and you can sell what you learn and what you made there <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so we're hoping it at one point at our, our yeah. most recent mending club it was the table was the club was running itself all the teachers kind of stepped back and people were teaching each other and talking or just nice. sitting there and chatting um so exactly we, we'd love we i always just i always joke i want it to be like an mlm but yeah. like not any money is being made. It's just like I learned a skill at the Reclip Mending Club. Now I'm going to go have my own mending club, you know, and, and pass it That's on, kind cool. of thing. Yeah. Um, we would love to do it at like cafes or, or bars, you know. So yeah, there's grand plans for that, but um, money and do you, time. Um, do you record these sessions in some way? Mm, we take pictures and videos and kind of like make little social posts about them. We try to do. Yeah uh online mending club but it it's it's tough have you done any um like a live stream or something yeah exactly had people zoom in to an actual mending club and it was just you kind of like showing them what you're doing and oh i see yeah you just for the physical actual like skill part yeah are you streaming the the actual uh um like uh, for example are you using like a facebook live or youtube live or something oh i'm not but i should be huh I mean, you just have a phone, set up a little tripod. Yeah. Keep it on a on a nice angle. That's just a better idea, roll. Actually. Yeah. People can check it. That's actually, yeah, that's what you need to get better at is like, not marketing, but just promotion. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's it's just like finding out different creative ways to put yourself out there and get people to notice. Do you think yeah, you're good cool. at like cameras and stuff? Do you, what if I just had this idea if we did like... Yeah. A shot from above the table would that look kind of cool yeah like an overhead shot where it's just yeah. like um yeah Being you can even work there's yeah there's a couple ways you can do it do you have an iphone or anything or does someone have an iphone you mm-hmm. can use the time lapse function that's a great um oh. so just have that playing in the corner just time lapse the whole thing and that, that'll be a, a video right there 
Oh, I'm going to like take notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that idea too. Yeah. yeah. If you're able to get a camera above somehow, um, that would, yeah, you'd have to get like a stand or something or you know, something to hang over. Or I don't know if you have, if you go to a place with a ceiling fan or something, just yeah, right. <laughs> tape tape yeah, tape someone's phone up. There. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. The string and some hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just have it spinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to have that like a warning beforehand. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I like that idea. The, the time lapse is good. Yeah. Because yeah, because it is one of those things that you have to kind of experience it to understand it. It's such a beautiful way and you know mending is is really meditative we have had like i mentioned like deep and profound conversations as people are just using their hands and i don't know what it does but it really opens up it's a heart opener in a weird way you know and people really connect and 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 be be, and they're really vulnerable in these situations so Kind of letting more people in on that, I think, would be really therapeutic in a way. I mean, that's that's a good point. I, um, you know, I catch myself a lot. I don't know if you do this, but like when I'm when I'm talking on the phone, especially, I'm a pacer. Like I, mm. I pace back and forth. I move a lot. Um, I'm always doing stuff with my hands. Like I'm constantly like playing around with my ring. I'm mm. constantly doing stuff, and that helps me focus um, on whatever I'm trying to do. So mm. I think it's a good point that if you're doing stuff with your hands it kind of frees your mind up like you like like if you feel like your body's going a little bit like you're moving Something, there's, there's got to be some science there, there yeah, i mean yeah. you know i did some therapy one time um without being tmi it was like a trauma therapy yeah. and i had these two balls in each hand and i would just squeeze left and right as i went through the, the i spoke out loud the, the traumatic event mm-hmm. and it it there's science about left to right back and forth Mm-hmm. and and kind of thinking about different things it just somehow dissipates it um lets you kind of let go of it mm-hmm. and that's what i say like runners uh you know yeah. left right left right running is so therapeutic there must be something you're right to like the moving and the way your body is kind of processing things it helps your mind let go or yeah or do something i mean it makes sense uh, the way that our brain brain's work is it gets waves right so it's like um different frequency of waves oh, yeah. so it would make sense that it's kind of like uh, connected uh, where you know your your movement or you know different rhythms i think that's why we get into dance and music so much is because of the the different frequencies that kind of align with you know our brains or you know totally. in a in a in a way that's kind of uh, you know intangible i guess i guess mm. we just don't know but yeah, right. There has have to be something tried, to it. Yeah. yeah. Have you tried um static dancing? Aesthetic? No, I haven't. Okay. So basically it happens all around the city and you the whole idea is you go and you just there's no judgment. You just dance. The DJ mm. plays and you just move and that dance is not, is actually too structured. You literally just move your bones however you feel necessary. And it's just again like it's very therapeutic. You do it in large groups. And it's just a really beautiful therapeutic way to like let go of things. So, so it's yeah, like that. um like a judgment free concert type of thing. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. And there's you know those kind of like kind of trancey beats, if you will. So you're just really getting into it. And um, nice. You can. I mean, I've I've done it a few times, but um, people just truly like um, 
like meditate while you're moving kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's it's key. I mean, the last time I danced was I was drunk at a wedding. So yeah. it's it takes <laughs> I'm not I'm not really a dancer. Yeah, so, that's yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, you gotta let let go, but it's easier yeah, yeah. said than done. I know, yeah. It's um it's not it's not that I'm it's not that I'm against dancing or like I'm not I just don't practice it. So I'm mm-hmm. not good at it as far as that goes. Like I know it's a skill like anything else. You know, you gotta practice mm-hmm. it. Like if you want to throw a ball, you gotta throw a ball a lot of times. True. You wanna be good at it. So yeah, it's just one of those things where I just haven't practiced enough. Um but I I listen a lot. Like I listen to a lot of um podcasts, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, mm-hmm. I'm constantly listening uh to things. So that's where I put a lot of my my time and energy. Like any oh. extra time I have is just listening to things and learning things. What is your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast. Um, recently, I started getting this one called Modern Wisdom. Hmm. Um, it's by this guy in in uh, the UK. Uh, I believe his name is Chris. He started years ago, right? And he's just like like another podcaster who just started. He brings on people with like kind of like interesting um, like authors, um, people who have kind of um, like written books on on subjects and he comes on and have them bring like talk about different subjects. Hmm. I mainly I'm interested in like the psychological ones or like the like the self-improvement ones like that type of uh, that type of genre. So mm-hmm. he has a whole bunch of different stuff. It's similar to like um, like Joe Rogan where he just brings on a bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is just it's more of like he's kind of they're figuring stuff out as they talk it through which i like yeah that sounds really yeah. interesting yeah it's called um modern wisdom um i listen to it on spotify because mm. it's just spotify is my go-to thing if it's not yeah, playing it's a easy. podcast it's playing music easy and always yeah i always have music on yeah that's mm-hmm. that's my that's my thing i'm always listening to something I don't know i don't know what it is <laughs> I yeah just i'm the same way i yeah. i grew up with my mom with our household always had music on maybe is that yours too same yeah yeah, yeah. cleaning music yeah. blasting yeah yeah my mom listened to stevie wonder when we cleaned and now like stevie wonder is just like cleaning mode <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm i'm she was more into like freestyle like 80s uh <laughs> cool yeah, she, that's awesome yeah yeah, so that was like it was like a party every time we were cleaning. <laughs> that, that, good, because I hate it. So <laughs> I'm glad that it's a party. I should try. Yeah, that. I know. I know. Yeah, that's what I do now. It's like if I have to clean something or if I have to do anything, just pop on my headphones, yeah. get moving, some jams, and then you just time goes by way quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have to. Yeah, I'm the same way. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. I, I really, uh, I'm excited to to hear about you know where this goes and how you can start these uh these new mending clubs and are you are you looking to to branch out like outside of new york or eventually yeah the plan um i love to so i kind of i want to have pockets um where there are a bunch of upcycled brands and designers and um kind of bring reflips to la to austin uh, atlanta columbus ohio is actually has a pretty good um, upcycle community and kind of promote that local um shop local uh model that we have right now right now it's all new york city designers um we're shipping all over you know the states but really promoting it in new york city so yeah yeah, definitely i mean uh this next few months i'm revving up in 2023 um maybe Mm -hmm. maybe i'll fundraise maybe i'll see what i can do with um getting this really really off the ground that's kind of the plan 
That's awesome. Yeah. So what are the, what are the next steps that you have uh, currently? We have, oh, we have that mending club on the 9th, like I mentioned. We'll have one in November and December as well. Um, as you can imagine, the holiday season are really going to be a big push. We'll have sure. um, holiday pop-ups around the city, um, you know, gift guides, uh, stuff like collections on our Instagram shopping and on our website for holiday gifts and and, uh, and whatnot. We nice. have, gosh, the brands on, on, on my website, I know I'm biased, but they're just doing the coolest stuff. So at these events, if you're able to join me and we should do virtual, you're right. I should just do live streams and stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. Why not? Doing, uh, you know, maybe getting something embroidered or bringing an old sweater and getting it upcycled. So we'll be doing stuff like that too. Or oh, cool. in, in real life. There's, yeah. There's so many, oh man, there's so many things you can do with that. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's so hard to define upcycling because it's, it kind of is anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It could be. So, I mean, yeah as simple as this actually this sweater is a stain i got like an oil stain on it not a sweater it's a t-shirt whatever and i just took my sewing machine i just ran some lines over it and now i just have these cool zigzaggy lines and it like <laughs> looks cool you know and i don't have a stain anymore so it's nice. as simple as that too yeah most people would just throw it away right or mm -hmm. you know, yeah yeah put a patch on it stuff. or i don't yeah. know tie-dye it yeah there's just so many oh god so many things you can do yeah I can't imagine. And that's what we hope. Much... We, that's what we hope. If you have a stain, or you have a rip, or you have a sweater you just don't like for whatever reason, you come to us. We'll help you figure it out. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, so as far as that goes, are you gonna, you know, have any uh, upcycle fashion shows or any like runways where people can show off their work or 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 anything like that? Yes. I. Oh my god, that's the most fun too. Right. We actually get to go to a show <laughs> and see it. Um, I'm so lucky. Two of my designers actually just showed in New York Fashion Week, which is incredible. They had great nice. shows. Um, and then, yeah, again, kind of around the holidays, bringing people together, getting stuff out there. We're currently forming a partnership uh, with a, a brand that has a really big space. So hopefully, we, and right in Manhattan too. So hopefully we nice. can um, get that going, get some fashion shows in there, get some people That's just like awesome. looking at upcycle fashion. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right. So, you know, what's, what's the best way for people to kind of, uh, to check this out and like, what do you recommend people do? Like, um, check out the page, come to the mending club, you know, what, what would you, what yeah, would you recommend we are, the first We're most step? active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just where we have our most, uh, in most of our info, it's more visual, um, community is kind of there. So we're at Reclipt, R-E-C-L-Y-P-T. We also have, you know, obviously that links to our website, which is just, www.reclips.com, which is nice. the whole full catalog, our marketplace. Um, there, sign up for our email list. We send out emails. We don't send out a lot because we're human and emails are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the good stuff, I promise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're really just like I said, we're trying to rev up these next few months. So you know, stay tuned. It's I'm excited to see where I can take it. That's awesome. And lastly, I want to I want to know about the the name. Tell me about the name. How that started? Yes. Oh my God. Well, maybe as you know, trademarking is uh, a, 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 a <laughs> annoying. I guess to, yeah. to say in a, a G way. Um, <laughs> so I had I had this I had this name I loved. It was Treasure Exchange. Treasure means you know like treasure and an exchange. But the lawyer was like, that's not going to get you. That's, that's no way it's going to get a trademark. So. She's like, just throw some words, some letters together. <laughs> and so long story short, I love eucalyptus. 
So it's the clip, right? They're like clipped is from eucalyptus and then reclipped like snip, mm. snip, snip, you know? Gotcha. So That's pretty is. cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so funny how these things come apart. How they <laughs> how they come about. Yeah. It's funny because I like I don't I mean, between you and I, LOL, I don't love the name, but people love it and it works and it can get trademarked. So <laughs> listen, if, if, a, if a name like Google can become like a worldwide <laughs> type of thing, it doesn't, it's not even a word. So, you know, wow, actually, thank you. That that actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause think about it, you know, a lot of these co- companies, it's like the logos don't mean anything. Starbucks. What is that? Mm. Do the coffee. You know, True. So oh yeah, it's just, so funny. They just are common knowledge now. Yeah, because of mm. all the crazy stuff that they put behind it. So it's yeah, like, true. yeah. So, so once you just once you think about that, every all the all the uh, little stuff goes away. You're like, all right, whatever. Uh, I'm gonna make reclip the best that. the best thing ever. Yeah. Yep. It, 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 I'm stuck with yeah. it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you can't change it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that actually really does make me feel better. Thank That's you. Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll get there. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Just got to be patient. Keep putting in the work. Keep meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's a. I know. It's, it's and awesome. speaking of meeting new people, obviously we know each other, but I mean, this yeah. is so lovely. I've been pushing this off. I'm not pushing off. I said that time for so long. Sure. So I'm really glad we could connect. I like I love what you're doing. Obviously, shout out to T. Um, yeah. And I'm so, so grateful. So grateful that you had me on. This is really, really enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. This was fun. Thank you so much. And, um, and best yeah, of well, luck to you too. <laughs> thank you. Got, you. Yeah. got a lot of stuff going on. Yes, uh, too much. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, <know>, right? <laughs> I, I got to reel it back. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, that's that's the game. <laughs> we can just keep reeling it back. Yeah. yeah but however, anyway, I can help with what you're doing too. I don't know what sure. I can help with, but please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to promote or attend or do nice. whatever. I'm happy to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk after lovely yeah it'd be cool all right awesome well thank you so much i'll uh i'll keep you updated and then if people want to check you out visit instagram at reclipped mm-hmm. and um do you want to shout out your own instagram or you want to keep that nah. on, on the low i just well, my, my instagram is just reposting reclipped <laughs> there you go all right <laughs> so check it out all right thank you Great. so much thank you so much enjoy the rest of your day you too all right take it easy bye bye the doctor will see you now But do they really? Do they see you as a mother who's a daughter and a caregiver? Fearless, but sometimes fearful? A health nut with a French fry habit? An O-positive geologist named Patty, who's here today for a melanoma exam? At Kaiser Permanente, we believe the only way to care for all of you is by seeing all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org. Do you think all premium fuels are the same? Well, your engine doesn't. Shell V Power Nitro Plus helps keep your engine running like new because it's engineered to defend against four main engine threats. Gunk, wear, corrosion, and friction. So next time, choose Shell's most advanced fuel ever. It's fuel for thought. In engines that continuously use Shell V Power Nitro Plus premium gasoline.
Your signature style isn't just about your clothes, cologne, or watch, but how you bring them all together. Now, with an available 12.3-inch touchscreen display and enhanced handling, the Lexus RX is a vehicle as elevated as you are. The Lexus RX, designed with distinction, crafted with confidence. Get 2.99% APR financing on a 2022 RX 350. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important APR offer and pricing details. 48 monthly payments of 2213 for every thousand finance. Not all customers will qualify. Offer available in the Lexus Southern area only in this October 3rd, 2022. The Triple B Podcast would like to invite you to come break bread with your brothers. If you like what you're hearing on the show, if you think we missed the mark, or if we got it all wrong, reach out to us on social media. We can be reached on Twitter at triple underscore B underscore pod, or search Brothers Breaking Bread Podcast. We are the Brothers Breaking Bread on Facebook, and our email is brothersbreakingbreadpod at gmail.com. Further descriptions are in the show notes. Like, follow, friend, do all that good stuff, and please never forget to break bread with your brothers. How y'all doing? We out here, chilling on the spot. What up? I think Nia Long's back available. He might need to make a call. <laughs> so he might need to go on to shoot a shot now. He might need to shoot a shot. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, good people, to the brothers of the and the sisters of the bread. So uh I know you noticed that the uh, intro is a little bit different. Man, Donnie Bosco is off tending to them kids. He's got his boys playing in a uh, football game this tonight and um, hosting his daughters in town. Got his mom running around, so we're going to let him do his thing and get back to us. But in the meantime, the show must go on. We got a crew in here. Crew, what up? Crewed up. What's goody? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So we're going to go around the room. Miss Honey Buns, what's going on? 
Hey, fellas, what y'all getting into? It feels like it's been a minute, but um, back at it. Back at it like we never left. Um, nothing really to check in on. Um, just, you know, kicking ass and taking names. That's all I can do these days. Taking ass and kicking names. Get it. Yeah, not what I said, but definitely what I meant. Okay, let's keep the party going. Shaking babies and kissing hands. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, uh Uh-oh. Somebody just popped in. Let's go ahead and get her off of here. Miss uh, Lady of Lavender, I see you uh, sneaking in the back door. What's up with it? What's up? What's up? (laughs) How you doing? Got Got your pup with you? I'm good. She just—I just put her to bed, so everything's good with her, and I'm adequately imbibed and about to finally be able to hit my vape pen since I'm away from the family. Feeling good. <laughs> so how's the family doing? Everybody's good. Today's my dad's birthday, oh, so we all uh, came down first time since 2019 that all the family's been together. So that's lovely. It was a good day. Family. I'm, I'm a. I think I was the only sibling that had gotten to meet my brother's youngest daughter. Mm. So that was also nice. Everybody got to meet her today. So good day. Good times. Well, I'm I'm, I'm apologize to you. You just getting here. We uh we a little technically disadvantaged today. <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, you know, Roger's not available, so uh, I'm running the show, and and I'm I'm, I'm running with one hand tied behind my back. I don't think I'm gonna be able to share the screen, <laughs> so. No worries. You're gonna have to imagine what's being said. All right, I'm what good the with that. Are. It'll be all right. You got it. So, anyway, um, let's go to uh my man with the technical issues. That match mine. What's up, uh, Slim? What up? What up? Oh man, glad I was able to jump in, man. Uh, I must have checked in on move tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, we ended off well. Um, crazy enough, uh, mom's hit me with a, a gift from from the grave, bro. Oh <laughs> wow! Wow. Straight up, she's still touching me from the grave, bro. Um, came up on something that she had stashed away that didn't even didn't nobody know about. <laughs> and uh, they called me up for a little thing to the bank today. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is for you." That's so awesome. I'm like, "Wow!" <sighs> so what, like a little uh, inheritance? Little something, something, man. Little something, something to, to to push me on, you know, during this time when I'm moving and all kinds of shit is going on. It's just a little nudge to say, nigga, keep going. So, mm. damn, girl, that's deep. End, end, end of the day well, man. End of the week on a high note, bro. God bless Mama Cole, man. God bless her. You know what I'm saying? Zebulon, what up, soldier? I'm chilling, bro. I'm chilling, man. Um, I ain't really got nothing, man. You know, everything's copacetic as usual. Just uh, trying to adjust to this uh, fall, you know, this out of weather now. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tropical. I'm a, I come from a tropical people. You know what I mean? So I ain't really vibing with this weather, but uh, it is what it is. Well, that's something I'm trying to hang on so. for you for as long as it could. 
Yeah, it is. I, think, I thought it was like 60-something degrees today in, in, in St. Louis, at least. Is it like that in Columbia and Kansas City, too? And rainy. It's, yeah, it's been rainy all day. It's 57 yeah. right now. Oh, my gosh. That's so cold. <laughs> I know, right? It had been like 100 so yeah, man, you two know, days ago. With that. <laughs> it, was uh, like, it was like 98 two days ago. Exactly. Damn near. It literally was. It was like 97. Hey, man. Oh, oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. So, like, what, two and a half, three weeks, I'm actually going to be there, right? Yes, sir. So, yeah, I need to I need to temp check, man. I need to know what's going on. Well, you know, you've been you you lived in Missouri for four years, bro. <laughs> or more. I mean, I ain't lived in Missouri in over 10. <laughs> hey, see, what we need you to do is when you come up, we need you to bring Houston with you to, like, make it a little bit warmer. In Missouri at that point? Yeah. It's 100 degrees today. Y'all can have that shit. <laughs> we had it. Yeah, it. I was not ready to walk that fast. <laughs> you know, I mean, y'all already know what it is. If it's Missouri, uh, just wait 10 minutes. If you don't like the weather, it'll change. It'll change. So, True. You know what I mean? Um, so, what's bro? Yeah, man. Appreciate you, bro. I, uh, I'm out here learning new stuff, man. I'm out here trying to figure this out. Dropped by uh, Bosco's crib yesterday. Um, watched a little of the game. Spoke to uh, him and his little lady and just kind of was trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do today. So hopefully this shit I'll record and we'll be able to post it. <laughs> but, hey, you know, I'm just thinking we didn't uh, we didn't do the normal uh, audio check. To make sure everybody was everybody's levels of shit was coming through. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. I, I listened to the pregame. I just yeah. Oh, okay, you did. Okay, I mean, you know, don't expect me to be that nigga. That nigga's not me. Yeah. I'm not him. <laughs> make it work the best we can. <laughs> it's gonna be what it no, is. Gonna, we gonna be all right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We gonna be all right. So, uh, and then. Uh, on the other side, um, I got, I got, uh, I had a guest appearance this week, dropped on Tuesday, um, from the Psychology of the Hustle podcast, hosted by the one and only Kim. Appreciate you. That was, that was a dope episode, Joe. I mean, I know you don't have to tell me if you went back and listened or not, but we have, it's been very well received, like. You over there saving marriages and blessing men folk. It's uh it's been real dope. I mean, I had a couple of brothers call and, and just sit down and was like, yo, like I'm listening to this man's words and this is like my pain right now. I'm like, you need some men folk to fellowship with, bruh, cause um there's there's these theories going around that men and women can't be friends, but I'm going to sit with you and listen with you, bro, and, and hear your pain. But they're really um, having some struggles around this. It was it was an on-time topic for a lot of people. So you're out here doing the good work. Well, you know, I just show up and I just do me. I just, I just be out here. I say what I got to say. I get it off my chest. Let it be how it is. And that's you what marriage counseling out here, man? You moonlighting as a marriage counselor? Nah, just, just fucking being grumpy hey, and talking hey, shit. Just being grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> It's the perfect opportunity to say I put numbers on the board, nigga. I'm putting numbers on the board. Can't the bitch say, let me say I bought a Michael Kors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pusha T's coming to town too, man, on August 4th. Uh, I'm not August, uh, October 4th. Who's with it? 
Where are you going? Where are you coming to? Uh, Independence. Oh, he's out. He's gonna be out there. Mm, I think so. I said the Truman is. I think what it said. I do. I do a double check. But we can talk about that offline. Um, but yeah, Kevin, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. I think uh, we had fun. Um, if if it reached out to anybody and touched anybody's spirit, that's even better. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it is documented. Men and women can't be friends. It's on episode 17 of the Brothers Breaking Bread. If you don't believe me, go back and listen. Um, I hear tell that you guys are gonna um, maybe what was it? Uh, do a a review? We're gonna do a reaction. A reaction video, yeah. Uh, uh, of the podcast. I mean that that was a very interesting topic. The perspectives that were given. I don't have a temperament to juggle uh, four or five personalities. I'll just log off because it, it, I got a feeling it's going to get heated. But um, it wasn't like a bad combo that y'all had, but we definitely want to speak on it because we think we think folks can, you know, coexist and you can have a work wife or you can be friends with your, with your people. But I think we're going to find out a little bit later that that shit don't always work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was, that was a lively discussion. I think uh, Otto was there. Otto was giving me shit about that. <laughs> I think Zeb was in yeah, the Yeah, I think that ended up being one of the great debaters that year as well. I think, that it was, did. I think it did. It's so. an interesting episode. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, folks, go out there and um, go back through the archives, check it out. Um, other episode 17, I think it was um, Can Men and Women Be Friends? So, we'll let you decide. I think we're ready to go ahead and get it all. What do you think? All right. So, again, um, I apologize. We were having problems sharing the screen, so you're just going to have to imagine what's going on. Uh, but we do have audio for a lot of these things. So, um, And you know what? I don't feel the need to be Roger. So if anybody wants to take the point on one of these stories, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, just let me know from whatever, you, whatever your perspective is you want to talk about, please do so. Um, so we're going to kick it off with Ron DeSantis. Uh, to my knowledge, he basically did a, a dick move and decided he was going to take some uh, immigrants and, you know, move them up to um, Martha's Vineyard where the liberal elites are and drop them in the middle of town without any type of warning, notice, or any remedy for, you know, those people to be able to, you know, find a place to sleep find food to eat. Um, I think a lot of people, once they found out about it, were on the move to try to make sure they accommodated them. But, um, you know, I guess Florida taking their, uh, was their, their healthcare budget to do that? I think so. I think it was. Was the, uh, or no, was it COVID? I think it, was, it, was, it might've been the COVID. COVID. I was, I was thinking it was Obamacare, but yeah, maybe it was, maybe it was the, uh, COVID budget. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So, I mean, taxpayer dollars. I mean, worth. and the thing is, he he they weren't even in, they weren't even in Florida. He went to Texas. He 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 flew a plane to Texas, <laughs> got him from Texas, flew him to Florida, then flew him to fucking Martha's Vineyard. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, because you know, old boy started the shit first, right? You know, uh, old Hot Wheels did it first by sitting the bus of the motherfuckers to New York first. Right, he sure did. Yep. Yep. Who's Hot Wheels? Uh, the oh, mayor, sorry. Yeah, Reagan. Governor. 
Oh, I got you. Texas loved it. Cause he, what are you in a chair, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, FDR wanna be, huh? That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, but man. He did Go ahead, AC. No, I just said he did it first. That's all. Oh. <laughs> So yeah, they uh, I, uh, I don't know if you're gonna play the audio or not, but uh, uh, some um, um, I don't know if he's a sheriff or or, or uh, whatever. I don't know. Uh, some police officer, uh, they you know they're apparently are launching an investigation uh, in Texas. You know, starting in Texas, uh, you know, investigating basically what they did. You know, but the crazy thing is, man, yeah, you know, so they used the, I think, I think it was COVID funds, uh, to fly motherfuckers from Texas to 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 um to Florida and then fly them up to 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 Martha's Venue, um, you know, and I think he told them that you know they were gonna that there were gonna be jobs waiting on them and shit like that, so it was you know uh, he misled them, you know, basically lied to them, you know what I mean. Uh, that's that's taxpayer money, um, <laughs> you know, that you're wasting uh, trying to prove some little point or or make some sort of fucking political statement or whatever the fuck he, you know, I don't know what his end goal was. I think he was just really just making a joke for real, you know what I'm saying? But wasting th- hundred uh, th- tens of thousands of dollars, I'm sure, uh, in doing that, man. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that they are actually investigating it. I don't know, you know, what type of charges may or may not be filed. Uh, so, you know, some we just have to continue to pay attention to and see how that plays out. You want, you want to run the video? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's check it out. The 48 migrants from Venezuela that, as we understand it at this point, the facts of the case at this point, are that on uh, Wednesday, September 14th, uh, here in Bear County in the city of San Antonio, uh, our understanding is that a Venezuelan migrant uh, was paid a, a, what we would call a bird dog fee to recruit approximately 50 migrants from the area around a migrant resource center on San Pedro uh, here in San Antonio. Uh, as we understand it, 48 migrants were uh, lured, I will use the word lured, uh, under false pretenses uh, into, into staying at a hotel for a couple of days, uh, they were taken by airplane. At a certain point, they were shuttled to an airplane uh, where they were flown to Florida and then eventually flown to Martha's Vineyard, again, under false pretenses is the, the information that we have, that they were promised work, they were promised the solution to several of their problems. They were taken to uh, Martha's Vineyard from what, from what we can gather uh, for nothing, for little more than a photo op, video op, and then they were unceremoniously stranded in Martha's Vineyard. Um, what infuriates me the most about this case is that here we have 48 people that are already on, on hard times, uh, right? They are here legally in our country That's at that point. They, they, they have every right they to be legally. where they are. Oh, they were here legally. Yeah, yeah, they're here legally. And I believe that they were preyed upon. Somebody came from out of state, preyed upon these people, um, lured them with promises of, of a better life, which is what they were absolutely looking for, and with the knowledge that they were going to cling to whatever hope they could, they could be offered for a better life, uh, to just be uh, exploited 
and uh, hoodwinked into making this trip to Florida and then onward to Martha's Vineyard for what I believe to be nothing more than political posturing uh, to make a point. Well, yeah, so I forget what I was trying to remember what their uh, status was, you know, as immigrants. Um, but yeah, I do remember that they are, yeah, as he said, you know, they're legal, they're here legally. So, so I have <laughs> I mean, a question. they just play with people's lives, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have a like, question. Yeah. Is it me, or does this sound like kidnapping with the promise of human trafficking? That is the what question I was asking. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, if you, if you, it's like, it's like, um, that come, is come, to, come step into my van. I've got candy. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like force or not force. I don't know how to, what the word is I'm looking for, but turning these people into criminals. Cause one of the videos I saw, they were like, saying that these people needed to report to another city across the country two days later or the next day, the next Monday or whatever, and they were dropped off on the weekend. And if they don't do that, then they're going to have to be deported immediately or be arrested immediately. So it's like really human trafficking, just fucking with people's lives as well as putting them into the legal system or forcing them to get like hurt in some other kind of ways because of that. Right. Yeah, I saw some wild shit. I don't know. Um, I, at first, when I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really dove in deep into this story. I was kind of uh, mildly sympathetic to the plight of states that were saying, "Hey, we're bearing the burden of this." Let's send some people up and let, uh, you know, folks from the East Coast deal with it because they don't have to uh, directly deal with this issue. Um, I was like, okay, it's kind of a dick move to not give them a heads up that they're coming. But at the same time, I guess, you know, these these border states don't have a heads up when people come across the border. But now that you put it in the context of them being legally here, it's just all the way around a dick move. I don't know. So... And they were in Texas. He went and got them. Yeah, and they weren't even in Florida. <laughs> he went and got them. <laughs> I could have seen like so, some Cubans or some Haitians or something like that, you know. Right, exactly. That's just crazy, bro. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it don't make no sense, dog. <laughs> so, I don't know what to say about that. I think um, it's par for the course, though. Yeah, you know. Um, so, speaking of dick moves, um, you got. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but you got a, you got a black man who uh, was doing some stand your ground here in, in Georgia, and uh, he thought he was going to get away with it, but apparently the state said differently. Could it be? I thought you were going to a different story when you yeah, said Yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I got I to work up a segue. I ain't brought you. I ain't got the... I ain't got the the, the the practice at it, so I gotta gotta keep working on it, man. I'm gonna keep working on it. But um, you got a black man uh, who was accused of murder, or excuse me, maybe not murder, but maybe uh, manslaughter. I think it was involuntary manslaughter. Involuntary or manslaughter. Or no, it was manslaughter. Man. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, in a situation where apparently he was being run down by some girls in the car in Georgia. It was it was uh it was uh some teenage dudes. 
in a I think they were in a pickup or some shit or some sort of truck. Okay. And uh and it was one teenage girl in the back. Okay. Uh, uh from what I understand it was twenty twenty, uh when this took place, so probably some racially charged uh situation. I yeah, I what. think it was shortly after uh, George Floyd, maybe. Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and run the video. Let's see what it says. When it affected somebody, somebody you love, I feel like I've gone through everything you've gone through for the past two and a half years. So apparently, a Georgia uh, man charged. With- apparently, old buddy is mixed. Uh, he's got a white girlfriend. Uh, it, I think later in the video, he's going to have a, a black aunt and a white, maybe, cousin or something like that. So, um, you know, he's, 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 I guess he's been told which side of the family is. You might have some white ancestry, but, bro, you, in this situation, don't be trying to claim uh, stand your ground. Here we go. Killing a teenage girl claims he shot her in self-defense after a racist attack. Now his lawyers want the state's stand-your-ground law to clear him. Mark Wilson has been held in pretrial detention for over 400 days now. You might remember he's accused of shooting and killing a 17-year-old girl back in June of 2020. Wilson has argued he was just defending himself as he says the girl and her friends were chasing him in their car, trying to run his car off the road while shouting racist slurs. Just moments ago, a Bullock County jury found Wilson guilty of involuntary manslaughter and not guilty on all other charges against him. My name is Chance Bridgen and I am Mark's cousin. Everything that's happened since he was arrested, it's definitely been a battle. We fought to get him a bond. We had a bond reconsideration hearing, and the judge said he would give us an answer within a few days. Well, a few days turned into a year and a half. It's been a battle for him, but hopefully we're near the end of it. It's been a long... So you can hear his cousin's voice, right? Yep. Yep. You want to guess the race? He, he sounds cornbread, fat. Cornbread. So he is going to make an assertion here in a second that uh, if it had been him and not his cousin in, in the place, things might have gone different. Two and a half years. If you put me in Mark's shoes, there's no way that I would have been prosecuted. Odds are I would have been given a medal, probably got a parade in my name. I mean, it's, it's unreal at how he was treated just because he's a little bit more tan than I am. Justice is not just bringing Mark home. It's helping others that are unjustly incarcerated. But to me, justice is going after the ones that are really responsible for what happened. Mark has been deemed the monster ever since this happened on June 14th of 2020. But the true monsters, they're still out walking free. Where's, Where's Ricky Schroeder? (laughs) (laughs) where's the my pillow guy (laughs) I don't know I I got some feelings about this one because the article that I'm reading says that he was drunk like he was he was intoxicated at the time of the incident so he had been drinking all afternoon he had gotten a car and was driving and I 
I'm wondering, is there something, I feel like there's a piece missing. Like, did you almost sideswipe their shit and they were going off on you? I mean, like, I wonder if, I wonder him being intoxicated, does that change the outcome of the situation? Like, if he wasn't intoxicated, would things have gone more in his favor? Yeah, I don't know. That's the first. That's the first time I heard about that aspect of it. I didn't know that. What if? What if? I can see it having, you know, playing some sort of factor. You know what I mean? What, what if? What if he was in his car and um, the police dispatcher told him not to pursue the young man in the hoodie on foot? Right. 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 I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I mean. The article that I'm reading, they're, they're, they are trumping up stuff. They're talking about his big-ass truck. You know, they're saying it has a lift kit and that these people were in – they said that they were in a compact car. So, oh, I mean – They were in a car. Okay. You know, so they're, so they're giving this depiction that he is in this large vehicle. He's been – you know, he's under the influence. They're making it seem like he's the true – you know, menace in this situation. So I don't know. I'm thinking that the alcohol may have, may have played a role in his not getting that, you know, staying at ground law. I don't know. Are you saying, like, changed his actions or changed, like, the jury? Changed the jury's depiction okay, of, gotcha. of what, of, of the situation. Because if he hadn't have been drinking, I would have been like, oh, shit, you know. George they making this thing like he's Zimmerman in like was a, a 350. A George Zimmerman was in the truck. He got out of the truck, pursued a teenage boy, had a gun in hand, and he was still able to claim uh, standing your ground. I don't know what the size of the vehicle would have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's I'm thinking it's the liquor. That's it. That's it. You're thinking that's I mean, it. Not not like completion of it, but I think that led the jury to believe that he was actually the instigator of the situation because he didn't have good reason. You're saying How can... gave them permission to think that? No. Because, I no. mean, the brother is a brother. Well, he's half brother. Damn, but it, it... that's what we doing? Hold up, time out. Hold up, that's what we you doing gonna today? That, you gonna take that? That's what we doing today? He's half brother? I'm I think he said she wants to meet you outside. What are you just saying? saying? What are you just saying, Kim? Oh, let me meet you outside, girl. We're going to bring her into this, too. I'm saying if he had not been drinking and gotten behind the wheel, I think he would have got off. That's what I'm so, saying. So check this out, though, Kim. Uh, in this article that I that I got, mm-hmm. say studies have found a significant racial disparity in whether homicides are deemed to be justified based on the race of the shooter. And that of the person shot. A 2020 study by the U.S. Commissioner on Civil Rights said white on black homicides have justifiable findings 33 percentage points more often than black on white homicides, with stand your ground laws exacerbating that disparity. I totally agree. So but I, I feel I, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think this is a situation where if he would have been sober, he would have been fine. That's my thought. I think the jury well, was, still would have been out to get him just because of who he was and who they were. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a, it was a young, it was a, a teenage uh, white white girl that was killed. Um, and then there was also some 
discrepancies in the testimony. His girlfriend testified because she was with him when it happened. And uh, he and, and we should also point out, too, uh, that he legally owned the gun and had, you know, had the permit to carry and all that shit. Um, but anyways, his girlfriend, I guess she said that she didn't hear uh, the racial slurs. But she said that, it, you know, everything happened like, you know, she was scared. And so, you know, she was just like, but she didn't hear any racial slurs. So, so, but, but so, she, but she so, did. I also think that she, she might not have been ready to hear them. Like, she, she might not, that might not be that what she They were hearing. trying to run them off the road and shit, that they were fucking with them. You know what I'm saying? She corroborated that part, but she said she didn't hear the racial slurs. So, so the, of course, the, the, the lack of racial slurs, the lack of racial slurs means that it may not be pursued as a hate crime by the people who are now classified as the victims. Because I mean, well, the thing is, the thing is, is that a, a, a good um, prosecutor, they're going to use that, you know, uh, that the stories ain't quite matching up. So they're going, you know, they're going to use, they're going to use whatever they can to get that, you know, to, 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 um, you know, to, to disparage his, his, uh, his account. Crazy you know doubt. Yeah. No, no, so, no. Uh, so old buddy got ten years, which was the maximum. The max mm -hmm. got the max. I think it, it it was a one. The the uh convict the conviction of involuntary manslaughter could go anywhere from one to ten years, and they gave him the max. Oh yeah, I hear killing white women. No, you can't be. You can't be out here shooting white women in Georgia. He know better, right? Uh, shooting white women off that I ten East corridor. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> Good, Good fucking luck. luck. <laughs> Good luck. So, don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck about the circumstances. Give a fuck about none of you niggas. Speaking of fuck niggas, ah, this one might be better. <laughs> <laughs> We got a Olathe Northwest teacher. So a local guy um, who is a wrestling coach has been dismissed from his position and arrested. Um, Kim, I think you came up with this one. You want to? You want to? You want to tackle it? Yeah. So anyone that knows me knows that I just I cannot stand teachers like this. I mean, this type of shit's been going on since forever. Um, this gentleman, his name is listed, but he's a 47 year old and. Um, Olathe North, he was a physical education teacher and a um, wrestling coach. And the kids is just fucked up in the head behind it because, like, they're like, he's such a good dude. He was such a good coach. He taught me so many things. And then, you know, they have to deal with this. So I kind of feel for the kids on this, but I digress. So long story short, this, this gentleman has been engaging in um, some – illicit activities with students. So the students are old enough to consent for sex. So they're 16 to 17 years old, but 16 years because can consent? yeah, 16 at the age of 16, you can consent to sexual activity in, in the state of Kansas, in, yeah. the, in this state, in this state of Kansas. Yeah. You can consent with people of any age. Uh, they're 16 or over. I think it was. 
It's different. They just different in different states. Yeah. Okay, so right. it's not it's not like a graduated thing where if you're 16, you can consent to like somebody three years older or nothing like that. Or the dude's well, 47, right? He's 47. Yeah. So, because like the argument would would have normally been, well, the 16 year old can consent to sex, but because of the the relationship between them, the student teacher mm-hmm. relationship, that's where the legality part comes in. Let me find it in the article. So well, I mean, it's grooming. It is. It is and the power. The power differential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it sounded like old buddy was on. Is there a Snapchat? So I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you study. I'm gonna go ahead and play the video if that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Breaking in Olathe, a former teacher and coach is now facing charges for having a sexual relationship with a student. KNBC 9's Jackson Kurtz is at Olathe Northwest High School with more on the story. Jackson. Well, we've been talking to parents at the school all afternoon who tell us kids are having a difficult time reacting to all of this news. That teacher, former teacher Stephen Mesa, is charged with three counts of sexual relations with a student over the age of 16, going back to alleged incidents that happened between July 1st and August 26th of this year. Now, a spokesperson for Olympia Public Schools says Mesa has been with the district for 21 years. The district says after learning of the allegations against him last month. He was placed on leave and then referred to the situation to police who were recommended that he should be fired. Now, parents we spoke with, some of them were shocked to hear this news. It's just terrible and, you know, that sort of incident is shocking to me and I really can't understand how a person like that is in the teaching profession. And the Board of Education meeting shows that Mesa was fired on September 1st. We'll have more on this developing story coming up tonight. Yeah, so uh, again, I think he went on to say that uh, Snapchat was being used to communicate between him and the uh, students. Um, So it was more than one student? It said it said three counts, so it made it made me think that it was at least two students. I don't know why. I don't think it's three students. I think it's two students because they said they kept saying like one age sixteen, one age seventeen. So that's why I'm thinking there may be two victims. But that's a real quick turnaround. Like you just did that like couple couple two months ago, and they already snatched you up. So this. It either must have been real egregious or he done, he done messed with the wrong one's kids, one of the two. Well, probably, but it, it sounds like he left the paper trail. True, true. I mean, when it's when the dots lead back to you, he, got, he leaving breadcrumbs for motherfuckers to follow, so I don't know. But. Yeah. Didn't work out in his favor on this one. He didn't mm. handle and griddle that one right. I got to find the original article because it went into a little bit more detail in regards to it, but um, why is it always a why is it always Mm -hmm. like coach or math teacher? (laughs) I'm just I'm 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 just saying why does it always seem like it's a coach or math teacher in this situation? I don't know. Speaking as a coach, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but. Nigga, <laughs> nigga, I'm telling you, bro. I'm telling you, like, incidents known and unknown over the course of my time 
it has been a coach or a math teacher. Maybe they have the most opportunity to uh, spend time with students, you know, like alone, you know, like a lot of a lot of students struggle at math. So, you know, they need a little extra time with the math teacher. So they get that little one on one time to to groom them. And, you know, as a coach, you know, you're going to get time, uh, especially if you like a if you uh, uh, have girls on whatever type of team that you coaching. You know what I mean, or whatever you into, you know. So I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with this. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a very solid theory. It's just a theory, though. Your wrestling coach too. They, they, they a little different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Are we sure they're girls? What? Are we sure? I don't know they Did they say they were girls? I don't remember. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. It didn't say, did it? Valid. Yeah. Valid. Because, you know, it's wrestling. I just <laughs> got to remember, like, I was, I wrestled in high school for a couple of years, and they was, I mean, I was the only girl, but they were girl managers, so it could have been somebody who was a manager, because a lot of the managers, yeah. at least from my high school vantage point, like, they were, like, putting themselves out there in different type of ways. Some of the managers for boys' teams, I'll say that much. Putting themselves out there. Huh? That sounded like that was dripping with judgment. <laughs> no, I mean, but I'm, I'm, from what I, that was what I saw. They were, like, very blatantly, like, I even had to talk to one girl at one point that was a manager for the wrestling team. I was like, girl, what are you doing? Because it, it was just a lot. So. Okay, we got time. <laughs> What's she doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just details. That talking about things that she would be willing to do to people, like just out of nowhere, like why are you even bringing this up? What does this have to do with anything that's happening right now? Um, trying to cozy up to people on bus rides, but the yeah, it was, it was just a lot. Was she talking about? She wasn't talking about the adults, was she? She was talking about the kids. No, no, no. Yeah, this was with kids. This is not. So I don't know if it's similar with that, like the managers maybe get friendly. Because I also have seen teams or bands and all kinds of stuff where the kids do get really close with the sponsor or the the coach that's there. Um, there was a, the my freaking band teacher at my high school ended up marrying somebody who was a year older than me. So it does happen. You never know. So a year older than you when somebody went to their school, was it? It was somebody who was a, a, a like when I was a junior, she was a senior, and the band teacher was our band teacher. And five or six years later, after she was out of high, after she was out of college, I mean, or would have been around the age to be out of college, they were married and had already been having a relationship for a minute. So, and also were very close. Even looking back in high school, I was like, oh, that actually doesn't surprise me. As soon as I heard the name of the girl. I was like, oh, that doesn't surprise me because they were kind of real buddy buddy back when we were in school. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy. But I don't know. It might have been boys. Could have been. Yeah, the article really doesn't say. It just says three counts of unlawfully engaging in consensual sexual intercourse with a person 16 or more years old. 
It almost makes me want to say that it is a boy because I don't know if I've heard him say person and right. when it's a girl. Mm. Yeah, like we, they were intentionally trying to make you not know the gender here. Yeah, we, we knew that they uh that old buddy shot a girl on the truck. <laughs> but we don't <laughs> but we don't know about who right. uh, who the coach shot in the back with the huh. with, with, with the other gun. <laughs> That was good. That was good. Oh, that was do you, do you sideline? Do you have a side hustle as a mall cop? Because that was a good segue right there. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> like what was it? Uh, what was, was the old boy Kevin James? I can't even remember that movie. I can't even remember either. Was so. it called Mall Cop? I think it was. Yeah. Or the Mall Cop or some shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> Talking about side hustles, your boy Brett Favre. (laughs) (laughs) This motherfucker is trash. He's stealing from the least of these, man. So, uh, those of you who don't know, um, Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre, longtime Packer, short-time Jet and uh, Viking. Um... From Southern, from from Hattiesburg, my uh, my children's mother's uh, hometown, and uh, where is that? Hattiesburg is in Texas. Uh, no, it's, uh, south of Mississippi. I mean, south of Jackson okay. in Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, about halfway between Jackson and Gulfport, I think. So um, I think he his alma mater was Southern Miss. Um, he had a daughter who was going to Southern Miss to play volleyball. So he was called upon to build a new volleyball facility for them. And instead of coming oh, out of the... Uh, didn't he volunteer? Yeah, I don't know. I said called upon. He could have volunteered. I'm not exactly sure how, how uh, the conversation came to be. But what he ended up doing is uh, getting to a situation with uh, officials from the state who... Very much like Ron DeSantis wanted to use tax dollars in a way they were not intended and um, dipped into the welfare fund to pay for this volleyball facility. Any thoughts? Five million. Five million. And and then and then so uh, not the whole five million went to the volleyball facility. About a, a million of it went into his pocket, didn't it? Think so. Yeah, something about speaking yeah. engagements or some shit like that. Yeah, he was supposed to do some speaking engagements. And didn't even speak, did he? Yeah, I only think no. he did. No, he, he didn't say up. a word. Oh, wow. But five million, I thought five million was only scratching the surface of what they actually took, though. Because the, I, I thought overall, when you counted everything that they took, it was like $70 million they funneled. Yeah, I think that was like 77. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think there was another video in the, in the chat group where I think there might be a, a co-conspirator who's willing to uh, sing. Yeah, I believe uh, somebody is already cooperating. Yeah, somebody's already cooperating. But why are we why are we acting like we didn't know Brett Favre is a piece of shit already, though? We ain't acting that way. Well, <laughs> I think we knew he was a piece of shit. I don't think we knew how big a piece of shit he was, though. Yeah. Yeah, I like mean, this is, this is I mean this is some low shit and and the thing that's that's got me fucked up is like we over here talking about other stories 
Like mm-hmm. this nigga didn't just steal five million from poor people. Yeah. In tax dollars. Like like so are federal Poor charges state. on the way? So what? Are federal charges on the way? They should be. They, they should be. be. Yeah. Federal or state and state. Yeah. Yeah, they should be, man. I don't know. Like I said, I, I read that there's already uh, somebody cooperating from the governor's office, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a video of him uh, walking out of court, and reporters are asking him, do you have anything to say? And he's just, <laughs> he got his his lips uh, zipped tight all the way to the car, man. He didn't say shit, so. Um, I just, I, I, I think the thing that bothers me, too, which is probably bothering everybody else. Like, where is Jason Fatlock at now? Mm. <laughs> like, where, where is, like, where is, where is Stephen A? Where are all these motherfuckers at that will go in on old boy for cheating on Neil Long, and go in on Michael Vick for all these dog, you know, for his his situation with the dogs, and even go in on Colin Kaepernick who did absolutely fucking nothing. But we ain't heard, but maybe two stories about Brett Favre and most of the shit we had to go find ourselves. Well, I, I'll tell you who did. I've seen plenty of, I've seen plenty of shit on there, actually. I'll I tell you who did go in is uh, Shannon Sharp. Here you oh, go. yeah, he did. Here you go. <laughs> you got to be a sorry mofo mm. to steal from the lowest of the low. Skip, they, the, Mississippi is the poorest state in our country. It is. It's citizens. So if they're the poorest state, Brett Favre is taken from the the the, uh, uh, the underserved. You made a hundred plus million dollars in the NFL, and the talk about what well, he didn't know. This is what Brett Favre take. If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? So if you gotta ask your, if you gotta ask this question, is there any way the media can find out? You already know you're doing something wrong. The mere fact that you don't want anybody to know. So you know you're doing something wrong. And Skip, he wanted to seem so, imp- so so philanthropic. He wanted to change the perception of the narrative. He take money for some damn volleyball arena. Well, his, his, his daughter, daughter played. So? Mm-hmm. So, but yo, oh, you see what Brad Favre did for his album model? Mm-hmm. No, he didn't get no money came out of his pocket. He stole money from people that really needed that money. Yep. Man, this is, this is embarrassing. And he's not the only one. Ted DiBiase, a former wrestler, even Marcus Dupree, a great running back at your old, the school that you loved, that you loved growing up, Oklahoma. He got money. How can you got to be really low to take from the poorest of the poor? To, Brett, you ain't got enough money? Okay, Skip, listen. You don't, okay, you know you're not supposed to have this. But how about go give the damn speeches? Mm-hmm. They're paying you to give speeches, and you didn't even give the speeches. And now you won't even pay the money back. Yeah. Mm. yeah he's, a, he's a scoundrel. A scoundrel, a carpetbagger. A <laughs> carpetbagger. <laughs> Same motherfucker that was sending dick pics in the locker room to the fucking trainer. Yeah. Nigga, that's, hold up, Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. With the Jets. With the Jets. Yep. So how, how do you not get the same smoke as uh, old buddy uh, with the Browns? That's what I'm saying. But that's what Shannon was saying that too. He was, uh, I seen him, uh, I don't know if it was that same episode, but uh, he was talking about like uh, 
you know, how how they didn't that shit didn't even come up when it was time for him to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But when it was T.O.'s time to get inducted to the Hall of Fame, you know, they brought up all sorts of shit, even though T.O. ain't never did nothing other than run his mouth. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he ain't, never got, he ain't never had no issues with the law uh, while he was playing football. You know what I mean? He never uh, violated any rules. He never got suspended for shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, people had all sorts of shit to say when it was his time to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But they, you know, when Brett Favre, uh, when it was his time, it was it was all crickets, you know what I mean? So, you know what AC is, what AC was saying is true, you know what I mean? Uh, go ahead. It'll be the same shit for Ben Roethlisberger too. All yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yep. Who's? Do you might watch the video on this? What's the video? The the. Uh, undisputed with Shannon and a skip. Yeah, I did, man. You, did you catch how uh, Roger felt about it? Yeah, I saw his comment. What do you think about it? Talking about his comment towards uh, Skip. Yeah. Uh, kind of caping for him. <laughs> uh, man, I I think that I think that you know at the end of the day they're gonna do that whole back and forth thing. Where they play one side versus the other, um, but the, in this situation, you can't do that shit, man. Did, did you feel this cape for him? I don't feel like he caped for him, but I think he tried to he tried to give it a soft landing. No, this shit need to crash and fucking burn. He didn't you know give the saying? same energy. Yeah, he he was not giving out the same, same energy he gave for other motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? If that would have been fucking LeBron James, he would have fucking. <laughs> Pour down the Eiffel fucking tower. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. You know, so like keep that same energy. If you gonna if you gonna spit the truth, spit the truth. Don't don't you know? Don't muffle the truth. I don't know. You know Shannon might have been giving enough truth for everybody though. Huh? <laughs> I said Shannon might have been giving out enough truth for everybody. Damn right, Shannon don't give a fuck, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and shit, his brother played with him. Yep, he said he mentioned that too in the interview. Mm-hmm. And he don't like Brett Favre because he thinks Brett Favre got his brother hurt. Mm. So he don't like Brett Favre to begin with. Because his brother was a machine too, man. Yes, he was. He should be in the Hall of Fame. So, he is. Did he make it in? He is in. When? Yeah, he's in. He ain't in the Hall of Fame. He not? No. Nah. He ain't played with like eight seasons. His career was too short. Yeah. Like, like, not, not that didn't disqualify him, but like his number because his career was cut short, he his didn't numbers, quite yeah. hit the numbers, whatever. But he was, you know, he was dominant receiver the whole time he was in the league. Let Sterling in, man. Yeah, free huh. Sterling. But I mean, so yeah, I think uh, I think the analogy I have for Shannon is not for Shannon for Skip is, you know, when it, like when one of his guys fuck up. You look like a dog that shit on a rug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's good. That's really fucking good. He knew he fucked up. He, ain't <laughs> he don't want to look up. Yeah. I wish I could see him right now. He yeah, up. man. <laughs> why you, um, for the pre skip, man, why do you think your boy ain't spoke up on this shit? Like Ooh. Steve. Even, I, maybe you haven't. I ain't heard it, but 
Why I, heard you talk, I heard you talk about it. I mean, did he give you that visceral, that passion? Like, did, what did he, what, yeah. what did he say? He did his typical Stephen A thing, you know. Um, he, he was demonstrative I, and all that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, he ain't giving no pass or nothing, you know what I'm saying, at, at all. You know what I mean? I mean, we we need to have this motherfucker on the same alert we had for uh for Coach Reed's son, for Brett Reed. Right. Brett Favre. Well, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about this. No, nah, fuck that shit. This nigga need to go to jail. Yeah, big time. Yeah, we need. We need. We need. I mean, I know we only have a small footprint in the in the media world, but motherfuckers need to stay on their ass. And every time something come up, yo, where the fuck is where the fuck is the indictment? Yeah, he does. The uh, former governor does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whoever else, you know, because like AC was saying, it was $77 million misappropriated. Yeah. So that was just a small portion of it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, that's just the... Some, some heads need to roll. The tip of the glacier, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. You niggas defrauded the government. Anybody... Yeah. And, and, and Shannon hit that shit right on the nose. Catch a motherfucker defrauding some fucking uh, food stamps. Yeah, they're gonna yeah. try to take your ass and put you underneath the jail for four hundred fucking dollars, and then somebody use you in the campaign in their campaign ad. <laughs> hey, <well, yeah. laughs> you know, you, you, know uh, you know, Merrick Garland's DOJ is not gonna be fucking around with this. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Right, Merrick Garland then will be on it. So he's coming after that ass. Yeah, he's coming after that ass. So he uh, he coming in there, Mar a Lago star. Right. <laughs> we come for everything, son. We want the boxes. Give us the boxes. Speaking so, of, didn't they get that motherfucker on something else too? No, nah, speaking of lawsuit. Uh, oh, we should have brought that. I didn't think about that. Uh, the um, in New York, they filed a lawsuit against him and his uh, three grown kids um, because of what he was or what he's accused allegedly was doing with his real estate. Um, to he was bumping up the valuation of his real estate. Oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. For loans, but then he was devaluing it when it came to taxes. All the time, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> so, so they didn't. No, as, as far as I know, no criminal charges have been filed. But I believe the state of New York filed a lawsuit against all of them. Well, just like they uh they raided in Mar-a-Lago for the boxes, we got another nigga that's out here for the boxes. Uh oh. <laughs> boxes. Like this boy somewhere. Boston Celtics head coach. Emmy <laughs> Udoka is out for the boxes, bro. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, He's out here trying to get him. Deal on with good enough. He <laughs> You want you want some of this long dick? <laughs> so anyway, Mister Yudoka here is um, basically. I don't, who wants to speak on this one? Zeb, you you you're an NBA fan. You want to talk about it? Uh, so yeah, so um, what I don't, I guess it came out like a couple of days ago. That was it yesterday. I don't know, a couple of days ago. Uh, I feel like it was that, yesterday, but yeah, go ahead. Apparently, he had a uh, an affair with a female staffer. You know, uh, he's the coach of the ball, head coach of the Boston Celtics, who was just in the NBA Finals, lost to the Golden State Warriors, of course. 
And uh, so today, uh, or yesterday, I guess it was, they uh, announced that they were suspending him uh, for a year uh, without guaranteeing that he was going to be the head coach after the suspension. So that's that's basically where it's at. There haven't been any details on the situation, on the relationship, as far as I know. Uh, well, I heard that there was that the the female staffer uh, said that um, something about inappropriate comments. You know, it was very vague. You know what I heard? They didn't say anything specific. Well, I, I, heard, I heard I heard everything was consensual. Yeah, everything was consensual. Yeah, that's that's been the that's been the line from the jump that it was all consensual, but it's the power dynamic. That's the and and also uh, the Celt Boston Celtics organization apparently have a, a rule against fraternization. You know what I'm saying? So he violated that policy more than the rules of policy. Um, now. I, I saw Matt Barnes. I don't. I don't think I posted it. Uh, he had did a. Uh, he had posted a uh, like a. I don't know what like an Instagram thing, and uh, like yesterday, and he was kind of defending. You know, he was just like, you know, this shit happens all the fucking time. You know, in in in, in the sports world, especially in professional sports, which I'm sure it does. Uh, so you know, he he was kind of coming to his defense, but. Apparently, uh, well, I know he 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 took that down. I think like a couple hours later, and he uh, made another post. I think earlier today, saying that after he um, made that post yesterday, that somebody called him and gave him details about what happened, and so he said that's why he took it down, and 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 you know made the post today. And he was like, he's not going to go into it. He was like, he's not, that's not his job to divulge the details. But if it comes out, it comes out. But he was just like, you know, once he heard what actually happened, he was like, I, I can't, I can't stand behind that. You know what I'm saying? So that's basically where it's at right now, man. So, but we, we right back to it again. Like we talking about a man who had, you know, an affair with a woman who wasn't married was in a relationship, whatever. Meanwhile, in the same sport, the same situation, we got an owner making racist comments about players and other people all over the fucking court, and we ain't talking about that as much as we talking about this shit. Mm, well, this nigga... I mean, I get blood, it. I like, he's closer to the cameras. He He's on the floor during the games. He just came out the NBA Finals. Um, He's married. I'm not married, but he engaged in the alone. I mean, but does that an excuse? So we just let the owner slide for calling these motherfucking players? I ain't saying we let it slide, but who the fuck know the name? Who who knew the owner? <sighs> yeah, I don't. To be honest with you, I see. I don't. I I haven't seen that disparity, man. I I saw a whole bunch of shit about the about uh Sarver, Robert Sarver. I mean, you 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 also might have been in tune with it and looking for that's it. But you, yeah, that's you don't have well, to be in. I'll I, I say this that the uh, this professional basketball team cheated on Neil Long. You don't have to know shit about basketball to know about that right now. Well, it's fucking the Neil Long situation is something else too, bro. All right, all right. <laughs> I, 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 
But like who the yeah, fuck cheats on Nia Long, nigga? Who, he do, who does gonna, that? It's gonna, it's gonna reach a different. It's gonna reach a different audience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like like because she's involved in it. Dude, dude, remember uh, remember Ghostface Nia? When I see you, I'm alone. <laughs> yeah, I remember, nigga. <laughs> I remember. So I mean, I, it, it just adds a different element to it, man. I I, I get it, man, but. So, so the the article we have pulled up. I don't know if you guys want to listen to it, but uh, it does mention um, the situation with the owner from Phoenix. So, you want to let, we'll let it run. Ime Udoka led the Boston Celtics all the way to the NBA Finals. Now the team is benching its new star coach for the entire season. In a statement, the Celtics said Udoka violated team policies with no elaboration. ESPN reporting it's over a consensual relationship with a female staffer. Today, team management was asked why the penalty was so severe. I personally feel that this is well-warranted and appropriate, uh, uh, uh. Um, backed by substantial research and evidence and facts. Coach Udoka did not respond to NBC News's request for comment, but told ESPN in part... I want to apologize to our players, fans, the entire Celtics organization, and my family for letting them down. I am sorry for putting the team in this difficult situation, and I accept the team's decision. With few details, a flurry of speculation hit social media. You know, we have a lot of talented um, women in our organization, and I thought yesterday was really hard on them. The suspension comes less than two weeks after the NBA suspended Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver for a year and fined him $10 million for making sexist and racist comments. Are you seeing a league that's trying to send a message here? Absolutely. I think it puts a lot of people around the league on notice that you can't treat this like a 1950s locker room anymore. The NBA season is just weeks away, with two teams facing scandals that have shaken their organizations and the entire league. So, I mean, we did hear about the uh, Suns owner in this story. Obviously, he wasn't the focus of the story, but I mean... You know, that was two weeks ago. I don't know. Mm, you know like that it was enough was to the selling the team. It sounded like he got it. Somebody else wanted it and snitched on him getting it. That's what it sounded like to me. Wait, wait, wait. Who who got what? With what? I'm talking about I'm talking about the coach, Boston Celtics coach. Somebody else wanted he what? Hooked, he hooked up with old girl. Yeah. Somebody else wanted to hook up with her, got pissed and bitchy, leaked some information, and that's how that happened. Because you can't tell me that shit don't happen all the time. I heard something that somebody had come through and said that somebody in the office had noticed it, and she had actually admitted that it wasn't fully consensual. So I'm wondering if that's why there's the year-long suspension because um, there's details that haven't fully been spilled. I don't remember where I saw that, and I can't confirm or deny it or anything like that, but I heard that it, it was not actually consensual. I think I saw it on Twitter. Oh, wow. That's this article I'm reading, they're saying that it was unwanted, like he was making unwanted comments yeah. towards her. So well, he's yeah, making unwanted comments. So it, it is kind of, it's, um, it doesn't make sense. It can't be a consensual re- 
sexual relationship or consensual relationship if he's making unwanted comments towards her. Mm-hmm. Well, it can, it can be like he could be so like you know he might uh pass her you know pass her in the hallway or something be like uh you know. Oh. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do that thing later. You know you're gonna do that thing for me later. Or some shit. You know, right. saying a little slick shit with you know with people around, not really saying the real thing, but you know, right. I'm, I, I have no idea. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying that's how it, something you it could be consensual and for- unwanted comments. You know. Okay. Yeah. But you know some uh I w- I was watching something and I'm surprised I didn't think about this myself because. Uh, there's a, a a good documentary on Hulu that I'm in the middle of about the Lakers. And in that documentary, um, uh, the the uh, owner of the Lakers now, the current owner of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss, uh, talked about her relationship with Phil Jackson, mm. who was head coach of the Lakers at the time. Okay. Uh, you know, they, they dated for years. And that was so, you know, I don't, but the Lakers run their organization how they run their organization. The Celtics run theirs how they run theirs. Uh, obviously, at that time, she was the owner's daughter, uh, but she was an executive. You know, uh, she had an executive position at that time with the Lakers. And, uh, you know, so it's just kind of, you know, the, the, the uh, disparity, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a similar situation, but I will say with that situation from my memory, cause I remember, you know, back when the Lakers was winning championships and shit that that was known. So they were out in the open with it. You know what I'm saying? They weren't trying to, they weren't trying to hide and then shit gets leaked and, and shit gets messy. You know what I mean? So I just thought that was an interesting counter example. Of can I take this in a different direction for a high second? Mm-hmm. Please do. Because, like, when Beyonce got cheated on, it it was this whole, if you cheat on Beyonce, you'll cheat on anybody. And I feel like now with this whole Nia Long situation, it's like, if you cheat on Nia, Nia Long, you'll cheat on anybody. They've been engaged since 2015. They have a child together. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out, number one, why aren't y'all married? That's y'all. I, I say all this to say, like, She's human. I'm pretty sure she got some level of flaw in her relationship. I'm not saying that that is what led to his inappropriate behavior. But I think women need to stop putting this undue pressure on other women. Like, this chick is already going through enough in a public forum. Now, we dropping memes like, you know, trying to uplift her. But I can imagine how that shit could be real damn stressful. Like, Nia Long just like, yo, everybody know that my dude cheated on me with somebody. This is bad enough. Now I got people dropping memes about how, you know, if you cheat on me alone, you you know, men ain't shit. Like, it's it's too much. I wish people didn't do the whole, let, let's try to uplift our sister by creating memes or trying to get her national holidays. Uh, Jamal Bowman tried to get him get her a whole national holiday so anywho was, I just was, needed what to was the foundation of national holiday hmm? what was the holiday supposed to be about um he said well, I guess it was something he posted on Twitter he said sending nothing but love to Nia Long we're not letting a man who didn't recognize the luxury her presence was dim all her beauty and glory now if that's him shooting his shot 
that's a real creative way. But he said, matter of fact, we need a knee along national holiday. Mm. And if somebody had to remind him that he was a sitting U.S. House member. Right. I was about to say, that's the dude, the Congress member in New York, right? Bronx or something. Not the Bronx. But Who yeah. was it? Who said it? Jamal Bowman. Yes. Thank okay. you. Yeah, he just got elected uh, last elections. Uh, what year is this? Back in he could have been shooting a shot. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. That was kind of an irresponsible public comment for somebody in his position. I think, like you said, he's just trying to uplift and shit. Or I don't know. I mean, I feel you, but there's nah, there's ways you can do that. Yeah, especially he, he could he could have got up and said some poetry or something. <laughs> I'm trying to be the blues in your right leg, trying to make it to be the funk in your. Le- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, J Cole might get his shot. I mean, I'm sure everybody out here trying to get their shot at Nia. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that is odd that they were engaged since 2015. Um, you would think somebody of Nia's stature would be able to tell them to shit or get off the pot, you know. Hey, man. It hurt. That might have been hurt. It didn't, but it could have been hurt. Yeah. I mean, some people cool with it. Yeah. I mean, like uh, uh, Goldie Hawn and uh, who is that? Kurt Douglas, Kurt Russell, one of the motherfuckers. Kurt somebody. They've been together for like 20, 30-something years. And well, they never I ain't saying me. being, but I think there's a difference between being uh, together in like common law or whatever and being engaged. Like, how long you call somebody your fiancé? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. So he showed intent without action, mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, however it wanted to work, whoever issue it was. Because we can't just say just because she's a, a beautiful woman, we can't say she she might not be fucked. Up. She might be fucked up too. Yeah, and he might be fucked up too. You don't know. So well, that's, that's, Halle Berry uh, had all kind of wild shit going on, didn't she? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. What it was. I forgot what it was, but I know. I think she's uh, just wild. You know what I'm saying? I think she's just wild. That's yeah. all. You know. <laughs> yeah, because Eric Benet was cheating on her, wasn't he? I believe so. He Eric Benet was a sex addict, though. Yeah, he <laughs> oh, yeah, that's daddy. right. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. This nigga Mike, too. He saw Some motherfuckers just cheat, man. Magic. I mean, yeah. you know. I mean, he wants them boxes. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it... it uh, I mean, look, I've cheated before, and it didn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, my wife at the time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, yeah, I still remember nine times out of ten when a motherfucker cheated, cheated with a mother who was close to him. Yeah. And that is the thing about the, you know, no fraternizing thing, man, is that, I don't know, I mean... Uh, you know, you meet people at work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And especially when you in, in that type of a job where you're probably in the in the facility like 15, 16, 17 hours a day, sometimes probably sleeping that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? As a head coach and whatnot, you know, so when you're around people all the time. So I don't I don't I personally I understand why an organization 
why why a, a corporation would have a policy of no fraternizing. I just don't see it being realistic, though. You know, but I understand because shit like this happens. You know what I mean? Shit gets messy, causes problems. I can understand. If, I can understand it if you motherfuckers are direct direct reports. Like if you if I directly like if you directly report to me or I directly right, report, right. no that that shit can't happen. But if we work in two different fucking parts of the building, who gives a fuck? Right. Cause shit like this. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I... And you know, motherfuckers all relate. You know, relationships oftentimes don't last. They don't work out. That's the thing. I'm like, you, know, you break up, you still gotta work with this person. You yeah. might not be working with them directly, but y'all see each other. Y'all, you know, the energy's fucked up. You know, is it is it wise to shit where you eat? Right. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It's very convenient. <laughs> no, not at all. But so. <laughs> Never we see we see what happened with we see what happened with Billy <laughs> with Billy Clinton. Yeah. You know? So it's not wise, but sometimes it could be convenient as a motherfucker. Right. Could be. So what do we think, folks? Uh looks like the tabs, they have been tabulated. Who got something else to say? Roger, we miss you. Joke sucks. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's not that no, dude. You did good, man. You, you <laughs> held it down. You held it down. I, my computer sucks. I need to get this. Uh, I need to get this figured out so we can share the screen. Yeah, we figured this shit out. But you know, I appreciate everybody else for chipping in, man. Uh, again, uh, Donnie Bosco was out there. You know, saying loving on his boys and his family. So we wish him well. You know what I'm saying? Have Ten, a good weekend. We miss you, bro. Ten didn't show up. Maybe he's getting his stuff packed because he's on his way back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, but um, and then AC getting his pack, so we glad he stuck around with us. We got some traveling folk oh, out of down there in H Town doing things. So I mean, yeah, we uh, y- y'all gonna get to, y'all gonna link up? Who that? Out, aren't you down in Houston? Me and AC, I don't even know if I have time for anything, honestly. Oh, Mom, man, she ain't got time for you, nigga. She ain't got time for you. <laughs> it's not that I don't have time. It's like I'm here for like two and a half days, and I've got seven, eight, nine, nine adult family members, plus I don't even remember how many nephews and nieces that I got to help entertain and stuff, too. It's a lot. And my dog. Yeah. yeah. So you got shit going on. But AC, it's nice to be in the same city as you, in the same <laughs> maybe area code. I'm in Pearland right now. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm in Caden. See? Oh, yeah, that's where my, one of my cousins used to stay, too. But, but that's all right. We breathe in the same air. As long as, we, as long as we don't breathe Herschel Walker's Chinese air, we'll be all right. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There's hot-ass air. It's, it's, it's 1130, and it's still 80 degrees right now. Yeah, that's a cool off. What y'all talking about? That's 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 good shit. That's my sister. My sister picked me up in the airport yesterday, and she was like, "The other day, I was walking around, and it was just felt so nice. The breeze was nice. The weather felt good. I wasn't sweating." And she said, "I looked at my phone, and it said it was 95." She was like, "I must be really from Texas now because it felt so nice." There was no humidity. Man, oh no, this is too hot. But it's all good. Good to see my people. 
Yeah. Have a good weekend. Hope you enjoy it. Everyone have a great weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, for Lady Lavender, Honey Buns, Slim AC, Zeb the Soldier, this is Half of the Brothers of Doom. Mr. Jefferson out here repping it. Joe Pop. That's right, Joe Pop. Here to tell you to never miss an opportunity, even though I'd about to miss an opportunity to break bread with her brothers and sisters. It didn't apply to her. The rest of y'all don't don't miss the opportunity. Breaking bread with everybody right now virtually. (laughs) There it is. Yeah, she spent some virtual time breaking bread with her brothers and sisters. I appreciate it. So everybody else do the same. We out. with your brothers whenever possible. How is your wrist? It's definitely swelling. Because right now is better than next Thursday at 10. Yeah, I'd better call. There's 24-7, 360 care with a Kaiser Permanente doctor by phone or video with in-person urgent care options if you need them. So, what'd they say? That you need a new tennis partner. Day or night, Alpharetta to Jonesboro. We're here for you. Restrictions apply. If you have an emergency medical condition, call 911 or go to the nearest hospital. Learn more at georgia.kp.org slash care. Kaiser Permanente. Thrive. Audio Jungle.